Hello and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the official podcast of the city of Bozeman, Montana. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and I am ambivalent about biting apples. I'm Mike Bloom, and I also get recognized by a lot of third graders, but not for the same reasons as Denise. Um, I'm Paul Oslison, and, you know, I'm just kind of bummed because, you know, when, when I left and went to Germany, I lost my job on historians, and I came back, and I asked Mario for a job, and he said it would be kind of a distraction since I'd been in Germany, so now I'm kind of stuck cleaning a lot of toilets and whatnot, so kind of sucks. <laughs> Paul's doing Charlie work. Yeah, Paul, so, does, that mean we, does that mean we're offering a historian's position now to the Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation after we found out your lie? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much money I, I get for historians, but whatever I make goes to you, Elizabeth Glazer. <laughs> make uh, money? Paul, hanging out with you is like chewing my favorite piece of bubble gum. It's fantastic. Aw, thanks, Mario. <laughs> All right, so we are back here with part three of our uh, recap of Survivor China. Um, it has been quite a while since we have recorded a podcast. We're kind of uh, out of shape here. We haven't done this in a while. But for, through the uh, the wonder of the internet, you're probably going to listen to part two and then part three immediately. So it will sound like they were back to back. So we hope to make this as smooth a transition as possible. And how ironic that we ended on something that we didn't even address in the previous part, which is the really weird to be continued cliffhanger at the end of uh, of episode nine that went straight into the recap episode. So while regular Survivor viewers at the time in the fall of 2007 were deprived of Survivor for two weeks. Uh, we had our own to be continued, and you were deprived of Survivor historians for a month in real time. Though, again, as Mario said, if you're listening to this in real time, it just took a couple clicks. Yeah, it was all planned out, the whole thing. <laughs> I'd like to apologize in advance as well, just for the sense that, you know, if anyone is like, oh, you know, these guys are good and, and, and they've got chemistry. But then if other people say they don't have chemistry together, I was always blaming it on the fact that, you know, for the most part, none of us have really met each other in real life. And I, I will say, you know, just to put a weird stamp on this, some of us have actually like met up since the last uh, Historians podcast that we've done. So now we have no excuse to suck. So thanks, guys. <laughs> or, we should also clarify... Yeah, Paul yeah. has met ev- all of us. I have Mario met everyone. And I, I still think, have yet to meet each other. <laughs> I don't think yeah. anyone else has met each other, right? Yeah, Paul, oh. Paul has met all of us, and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, am I more creepy in person or less? Paul, you hussy. You met everybody. <laughs> oh. I would say you're, appro- you're appropriately creepy. Okay, I can live yeah. with that. <laughs> there was not nearly enough Amanda content up on the walls of your apartment when I stayed over. I, that was the one thing I was disappointed in my time in Chicago. Otherwise, very lovely time. <laughs> Okay, I have to say, Paul, you know, I've been watching these last couple episodes, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of Montana talk on this podcast, which I'm sure you're thrilled about. Mm-hmm. But I, kinda, I, I was quite impressed by Amanda, for the most part, in these episodes. I think she did a good job this season, up until the final Tribal Council, which we'll get to. But I will preface anything I'm about to say later by admitting here at the start, before we do the jokes, that I thought Amanda was pretty good in this. Well, maybe this is the start. She's going to, like, skyrocket by 16 and by 20. You're going to be her biggest fan. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's it's weird. It's weird because uh, I feel like up until this point, at least our discussion of Amanda, she's kind of been almost a secondary character in this season. We've gotten a little bit of blurred action. We've gotten like a couple of key quotes from her, but otherwise, she's kind of been a little bit in the background. I mean, there's no real under the radar players in this season, which is one of the great things about this season. But I feel like in these next group of specific episodes, from James's boot onwards, we're gonna see like 
a self-contained story arc about Amanda, where Amanda's going to start saying, hey, I'm ready to play this game. Let me become a power player. And then, as Mario says, we'll subsequently see it fall apart around, like, the final four and then final tribal council. And it's just pretty fascinating to see someone kind of come into their own and then subsequently lose that power all over the course of four episodes. Montana was the 41st state in our union. Is that your contribution to this podcast, Jay? Hey, look. We're we're doing Montana facts from here on out. Let's do this shit. Let's <laughs> try Montana. Is there going to be a challenge where there's two facts about Montana and we have to determine which is the true one and which is the false one? <laughs> or don't ask Amanda what the capital of Montana is because she sucks at that kind of question. We're going to rebuild the Great Wall of Montana. <laughs> Got to keep out those North Dakotans. All right, yeah. So we will have a lot of Montana uh, content here for all you Montana fans. We may just throw in the Montana State song at some point. I don't know. But this is a, a festival of Montana, if you will. So with that being said, we're going to skip the recap episode, right? We're going to go right into the James episode. I think, did, right. did we talk a little bit about the recap? Or did we... Uh... we yeah, I mean, we finished off yeah. talking about it. So we all can right. jump right into the more business to attend to. All right. The more business to attend to, we are going to start. Part three, China. Um, the last five episodes, or last four episodes here, starting with uh, the James episode. There are seven people left in the game. And here we go. We start right off with a reward challenge at the final seven, where they have to answer questions about China. I love how you just Jamie and uh, John Roberto's walk out of Tribal Council, too. That was like a funny shot of the two of them walking down, like they're at a wedding or something, walking down and out of the temple. Those are probably the two most awkward people I would want dancing down the aisle in one of those like awkward viral videos. <laughs> yes, all right. So the reward challenge, the questions. Uh, what were the? This is the one where they, if the win, the winner of this challenge gets to go to a Shaolin temple. It's like a once in a lifetime trip at the bir- the birthplace of kung fu. Well, birthplace of kung fu is is a uh, uh, that's nebulous at best, but yes, essentially yes. Oh, Jay, would you oh, like on. to uh, tell us more about this? No, I can't tell you more about this. <laughs> Sounds no, like stop, Jay, you peaked with your uh, Montana fact there, so uh, well, you no, back it's off. just it, it's it's tough because China is one of those places. Here's the thing: it, it's not. I, I like the United States of America very much, and I, I, I my degree is in actually early American history, so I know quite a bit about American history. But not only did I have to study other things as well, it's really mind-boggling when. You know, we, we talk about, like, American history, and we're like, man, this thing happened over a hundred years ago. Oh, my God. And our country is 200-and-something years old. Oh, my God. And then everything in Chinese history is like, really, 200 years? That's super cute. Like, everything goes way back, thousands upon thousands of years in Chinese history. So if they're just like, hey, this one place is the, the origin of this, it's like, I, 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 I... I question that because I don't know if, if we could ever pinpoint anything because the history is so rich and so deep that, you know, I, I think that, you know, you can sort of put things in a general area and, and things like that. But I don't know if you can pinpoint things like that exactly. So basically, I, Jay, Jay would like to add citation needed to the end of the Kung Fu trivia bit there. Right. But I will also add that just along the lines, I think when we talked about in Survivor Africa, and I think I've already mentioned this in the Survivor China podcast as well, Survivor Africa had some of the best rewards 
that have ever really gone on the show. I, you know, uh, some of that stuff was just mind boggling. And I think Survivor China is also up there as far as, you know, rewards that the people could win. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the experience of places to go, like this almost would be one of my favorite rewards to go on. Cause going to visit the Shaolin temple would be a treat and a half because oh, and, regardless know, it, of, regardless of birthplace of punk Kung Fu or anything like that, I, I don't want to go that. That is an immense treasure trove of history to look at. Well, and you know, Survivor Africa, they gave a lot back to the people, like Ethan gave his hacky sack, and Lex gave yeah. all the things to the AIDS clinic, and then Denise gave all the children her moves. Yes, yeah. so, Denise like, gave the gift equal. of the Boston karate to Chinese <laughs> children. That was the same as what Lex did. She had sweeter moves than Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, yeah that Amanda, was... pro- Amanda probably gave the gift of pizza crust on the Great Wall of China. So really, this community was just giving back after going <laughs> back in time. And half her ass. She gave half her ass to China. <laughs> All right. So uh, I didn't write down any of the questions. What were the questions on this challenge? I don't even remember them. Well, one of them it was, was like, it, what's the capital ahead, of China? What's the capital of China? And Amanda is the only one to get it wrong. Of course. And then the other, one, the other ones are like pretty simple. We're also going to be getting a lot of like Chinese trivia in the next episode, too. But it's like... True or false, they're credited with inventing the abacus. Which animal doesn't belong to the zodiac? True or false, most of a Chinese panda's diet is bamboo. And then the final one is, in Chinese culture, receiving a red envelope means that inside is, and PG's the only one to get it right, which means that she's, it's pretty like neck and neck between her and a few people throughout the challenge, but she wins a reward. So she gets to pick two people to go with her to the Shaolin Temple. And yes, PG's choice, she takes Eric with her and she takes Denise. And this Denise challenge will not, this Denise choice will not come back and haunt her later, so it's very nice. Really great pick there. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, PG, Eric, and Denise win. They all go to the Shaolin Temple. And back at the final, at, at, back at camp, uh, she left basically the final four. She left James, Courtney, Todd, and Amanda, who at this point all believe they're going to be the final four. At least that's what we hear in the episode. I don't, I don't know at what point Denise takes James's place, but it, they, they mention it here that James is in the final four. And yeah, this is describe I, this as a nine day. It's like a, a preview of nine days from now. This is what it could be. I mean, going back really quickly to that final question, I wonder did did she mention in in an interview? I'm I'm totally blanking on this. Did she mention that um, her family does red envelopes? No, no. I, I, I or anything like that. I didn't realize that. No. Okay, okay, because. That was, you know, the the other questions are just general. Do you know trivia about China? Which, you know, I mean, that's that's open to anyone. It's like, hey, did you study up on the country that you're going to do Survivor or anything like that? But um, I have I have several friends that uh, that their family is Chinese. They are like either first or second generation American uh, uh, Americans from you know that whose family immigrated from from China and. For Chinese New Year, that that's that's the tradition that they do, even here in America. Like you know, there are some traditions that you know, obviously, um, they they have left behind, and then you know they're making new traditions and all that sort of stuff. But but red envelopes is very common amongst um, all of my friends that are Chinese or even Vietnamese American, and and so I feel like I I, I wonder you know how you know what PG's traditions were growing up in her American household, uh, whether they had red envelopes or not, because that might've been just like the biggest slam dunk gimme of a question, or it may have involved researching and knowledge. I don't know, but, but either way, I wouldn't be surprised. Are you implying that PG slumdog billionaire her way to a reward win here? No, cause she had to get all the other questions, right? <laughs> I actually do the red envelopes thing too, but I only do it with my friends at Netflix. 
where we send each other the red envelopes. Got no reaction. I, I knew that wouldn't wasn't going to work. All right. So I mean, anyway, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, Mario. Not to date this podcast at all, but it literally is not 2006. I mean, I'm, I'm good. I'm yeah, going to give a, that. That's a context clue for your listeners out there. It is not the year 2006. Mario is, Mario is Mario is still talking about like movies like with a tangible media that you hold in your hand. How cute. Hey, I still do those. I still send a red to Netflix. I get. You the still dinner. have an AOL email account. That is correct. And when someone listens to this podcast in 2030, I will still be having an AOL email account. So all this is still topical. Mario, let's move on. Let, let's talk. Let's talk about this young, this young upstart senator from Illinois by the name of Barack Obama. I feel like there's going to be a lot of great prospects in him. Well, Mario may have to listen to his speeches via tape on his Walkman when he takes his walk in the morning. Jeez, you guys are mean. You're old. <laughs> all right. So we go, uh, we have the final four back at camp, and this is where James starts telling everyone, please don't eat the apple. <laughs> this is, we have more. I forget, was there apple talk before this, or is this the first apple oh, yeah. talk? Okay. Oh, yeah. So this yeah. is just a but, continuation of the apple theme. But this, he's, ad- he's added frolicking on as well, about how he wants to frolic <laughs> all the way to four. <laughs> you know, James he, has never frolicked. When people think about uh, James, especially in Survivor China, I think they, they think about these Apple metaphors that James goes along, and you're like, well, you know, there was more to James, and there clearly was. But I do want to point out that the, the title of Episode 9, which was the last full regular episode we had in the show, uh, was called Just Don't Eat the Apple. And then Episode 10 was the, the recap, and now we're on Episode 11, which is called Ready to Bite the Apple, which, <laughs> you know... I mean, I know that other people are using the Apple metaphor at this point, but like this is all, you know, this is all originating from James just with his Apple talk. So, you know, we, we, we get lots of Apple talk in Survivor China. All right. So we go to the Shaolin Temple. Denise does her kata and impresses everyone with her Boston Kung Fu. Or I guess kata would be karate at that point. Uh, I, I don't want to offend any martial artists out there, as Denise may put it, but... <laughs> I, am I the only one that noticed that that demonstration also involved breakdancing? Yeah, it was I, pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome all the way around. <laughs> which, I wonder which temple breakdancing came from. It's tough because uh, it was probably... Oh, good. Sorry. I was going to say it's probably the, the, the Step Up Temple. That's probably the one right next door. <laughs> Is that from the Tang Dynasty? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> next to the You Got Served. Um... But it must have been really interesting because, as you could see, they got just an incredible demonstration from uh, the inhabitants of the temple. And then, you know, they asked, you know, they just asked an innocuous question like, hey, did any of you guys study any martial arts? And it's like, Denise is like, I do. And they're like, would you like to show us? I mean, you could see Denise's face. Denise is like, um, did you see what you just did? <laughs> do I got a spin on my head or something? <laughs> you know, and. And, you know, I, I have to give all props to Denise because I feel like, I mean, I don't have martial arts training. Assume maybe I did. And also assume I go on Survivor and this is my reward. And they're like, does anyone have any martial arts training? I would, I would either lie and say no. Or if I did, I'd be like, yeah, I guess I do. it And they'd be like, hey, would you come up and demonstrate? I'd be like, are you, are you kidding me? No, I'm going to sit here. Right. And, and the fact that she got up there and did it, I, I, I have like massive respect for that. You know, this suddenly makes me realize I wish Coach was on Survivor China. Hey, anybody here know any martial arts coaches? Why, yes, I happen to have invented a martial arts. <laughs> yeah. No, what no, what Coach would have done is that they would be doing the, the demonstration, and Coach would have just gotten up and just joined alongside them. <laughs> he would have, and then he would have started correcting some of them. Be like, no, 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 no. 
That's not how you do that. Okay, guys, at the end, everyone yelled Dragon Slayer. <laughs> oh, we're only a couple seasons from Coach. I'm so excited. Oh, right. that makes one of you. All right, so. <laughs> yes. So we finished the reward. We get through all that. We got the four back at camp. We got the three on reward. It's a good breakdown of how the alliances are shaping up. And now we go to the immunity challenge. And let's do some another fun, stereotypical Asian challenge. And uh, well, before we get to the challenge, we, we should point out that going along with the apple metaphor, there are some seeds being planted here. I mean, Amanda does have a confessional early on about, like, they say this is the final four, but I don't necessarily want to go to the end with any of these guys. And even before the challenge, she goes to Courtney saying like, hey, I'm going to float this idea past you. How about we get rid of James? And she goes along with her own apple illusion by saying, I'm not only ready to bite the apple, I'm ready to eat the whole freaking pie, which probably made some weird contingency of Survivor fans out there uh, very, very excited for unknown reasons. But yeah, it seems like Amanda has a, a plan of her own, but the only thing that would make that plan go awry is if James wins immunity here. All right, so this is the challenge where, since we have not used enough stereotypes, we're going to take ninja throwing stars and throw them at the target. Yeah, this, gonna... it's, this isn't as bad as fireworks and chopsticks, but still, uh, it's it's a little, I mean, this is like a habanero on our racism scale, right? <laughs> oh, we're still going with the Scovilles? You, you got it. It's like, hey, you just learned some karate, now throw ninja stars. That's what Chinese culture is all about. You took the test a, a, a couple challenges ago. We're, I, I'm showing my ignorance here, but wouldn't ninja stars be more of a Japanese thing, or am I incorrect in that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to Jay on this one. He seems to be our expert on Chinese culture. Yeah. Is this nebulous or better than nebulous? Uh, I mean, it, 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 to be honest with you, it's more of a Japanese uh, uh, thing, to tell you the truth. Um, but like anything, I don't want to sit here and say I'm an expert in it. I, it might be nebulous and, and it might, you know, a lot of things... Here's the thing. A lot of things originated in China specifically that people don't give credit for. Um, the Chinese were incredibly advanced in in things uh, more than that, but I, I would I would say that whether where it was originated, whether it originated in China or not, I think that people associate uh, shuriken with um, with Japanese uh, traditions, uh, mainly in uh, sab- samurai and shogunate tr- traditions. So the fact that they're using it on Survivor China does seem spotty and iffy at best. Well, it's a lot better than the next challenge where they have to rebuild the Taj Mahal. I thought that was a little intense. Then by the end, they're doing a puzzle of the Eiffel Tower, and they're <laughs> yeah. saying, like, I don't think we're even on the same continent here. <laughs> where, where, where are we? I mean, we're yeah. in Euro Disneyland. What is going on? <laughs> here, kill this kangaroo. Here's a boomerang. <laughs> and then All it turns right. out Jeff, Jeff does the live reveal at the finale, and it pans out to see that the votes are being revealed in Epcot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so the Ninja Star Challenge, it's a fun one. They do little special effects where they make the, the, the where the star hits the wood, they make it light up. It's kind of cool. And uh, this is the one that Eric wins. Eric ends up beating Amanda at the end, if I recall. Yeah, and other yeah. people did, you know, hey, Courtney did well. You know, like, <laughs> you, you were, you, I think everyone looked at that and said, well, you know, Courtney's not even going to hit the board. But, but <laughs> Courtney does really well. They found one of the six things she can lift. Yep. <laughs> So well, yeah, Courtney. Well, as you can see, and it's they don't do challenges like this anymore in Survivor. And I'm not going to say it's a good or bad thing. It's just uh, uh, more of just an observation. They don't do a lot of these because this one is, is shuriken that you're throwing at at some sort of target. But you know, you, we've had 
how many times in the first 15 seasons here have we had challenges where it's like blow dart or spear or shoot an arrow or something at a target, right? And like half the battle is getting your object to stick on the board, right? Like people throw or toss them and it's, it like goes sideways and just kind of clanks off. And it's like, like with anything, if you're going to throw something in Survivor, try to just step one, get it near the board and get it to stick wherever it is. And it's like half the battle there. I also like the added little, you know, artistic effect of having the targets not just be regular targets, but have them be three assuming ninja enemies in various positions. Though that would be the equivalent of like in the Palau shooting challenges if you had like soldiers set up for them to shoot down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. All right. Uh, so yeah. So Eric wins the immunity challenge. That means with James vulnerable now, it could be time for the four to do a sneak attack and pull out and, and uh, pull off the blind side with a guy with two idols. So this is the the uh, entire second part of this episode. Will they or won't they? Will they finally get James out of there? But we get a nice development here. Uh, PG finally figures out James might have a hidden immunity idol. <laughs> That's right. Very clever. But she's, the only way she finds out is literally because there's one sticking up in the middle of the roof. I think James has just gotten lazy at this point since, like, <laughs> everyone else knows about the idols, that he's just putting them in the roof to display for everybody. And there's this really, like, I think the PG-Amanda relationship is very understated, and we'll get to see highlights of it over the next few episodes. But there's this really funny scene where, like, PG goes to Amanda to try to make this big reveal about how she thinks James has an idol, and Amanda's not buying it because she already knows. But PG's like, oh, did you even know they existed up until this point? And Amanda just, like, snots back, like, of course it did. I'm not stupid, PG. And you could tell, like, as, as much as PG really tries to, like, really connect with these people that are left in the game, she's doing a really horrible job at doing so. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a shame that, that PG could not get along with people more. But I think that ultimately this highlights, okay, I'm not going to make a general statement on PG. Maybe she did was is annoying to live with and 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 rubbed people the wrong way i i don't you know i mean there's evidence one way or the other but but i i was not out there so i can't say but it's also shows you just the importance in having a friend and ally out there because it's like man when you do not any little bit of information seems like you know when she's just like hey did you know that there are idols out there and she's she's i mean we all kind of laugh and go ah pg's like four steps behind and stuff like that but it's like she literally has no friends and when you have no friends, like the amount of information that you're taking in is so stunted compared to everything else. So, you know, while we laugh at it at home and kind of go, ah, ha, ha, look at PG, she doesn't know what's going on. It's like, well, of course she doesn't know what's going on. Like nobody is telling her anything. And so she literally has to figure everything out herself firsthand and doesn't have a trustworthy network of people to like at least compare and have other sets of eyes. So, you know, it goes to show you, you need to have friends in this game. Yeah, she has a pretty miserable experience the whole second part of this game. I mean, she will, she'll start commenting on it soon that all these people are going on rewards, they're having all these great cultural experiences, and I'm getting left out of everything. So she really goes through the ringer here at the end. She gets a nice little underdog at it, something I noticed on this watch. That being said, so Amanda tells PG here basically what the plan is to hopefully have her go along with it, to have as many people in on the plan as possible so that nobody tells James what's going on. But PG decides to kind of see if she can use this information to her advantage, and she goes to Eric to say, like, hey, maybe just in case James plays the idol, maybe we could, you know, throw our votes onto Todd and get rid of him that way. Now, 
I think it's been talked about a lot afterwards in terms of fan discussion. You know, would it be a smart move for PG and Eric to go to James and say, hey, just so you know, they're going after you tonight so that James would play the idol and PG's plan would actually work and Todd would go home and then the game would be infinitesimally or infinitely shaken up. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been, I mean, that's an interesting discussion. I never thought about that before, but yeah, that's, if Todd had ever been removed from this equation, the whole dynamic of this game would have changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm, that's interesting. All right, there you go. Some food for thought for our historians, readers, or listeners. I mean, How the, about that? And the, the interesting thing about it is, and again, I don't want to dwell too much on like the gameplay aspects of it, but I know I don't know if really like a threesome of PG, Eric, and James would have emerged had that plan been successful. I think James would have been so spooked that he'd be like, okay, I'm kind of a free agent now. I'll hang on to this idol and definitely play it. And PG and Eric would kind of still be up Shit's Creek. So maybe from this perspective, if they say like, hey, we sort of have information now that makes us kind of in with the main alliance, as long as it's not us, we're just going to vote him out and then get these idols out of the game, get these you know unknown factors out of the game. So then we're still four to two, but we at least get this guy out. And uh, again, I, I will say this in front of many witnesses that I love bashing on Amanda, but this was totally Amanda's plan. They give her credit in the edit. Even Todd even gives her credit. I think Courtney gives her credit at the end. So this whole thing to blindside James was all Amanda, so I will give her credit for that. She pulls off a big move here. There's a couple lessons to be learned from this, and I don't want to jump the gun too much before Tribal Council, but number one, Survivor at this point is not throwing a whole ton of gimmicks our way. I mean, they're slowly doing some, um, you know, uh, we're way past tribe swaps and stuff like that. Now we're very clearly in this era of hidden immunity idols. And, you know, this season in Star of China, there were two hidden immunity idols. And that's kind of like the big sort of wrinkle this year is that we've got these two hidden immunity idols. And the fact that James has them both, I mean, you look at it two ways in Survivor. And, and as Survivor evolves, we're getting, you know, two, three hidden immunity idols and hidden immunity idols that can combine to bigger, powerful hidden immunity idols and vote doublers and, and things that sort of just sort of spiral out of these advantageous things. And on the one hand, hey, it's great that James has two hidden immunity idols. In theory, he can save himself from two votes uh, before, you know, getting down to a certain amount of people. So James is kind of like, hey, if I'm in the majority alliance and I make it to this certain point, then I'm golden till the end because I literally can't be voted out. And that's sort of what he was going for. But on the other hand, I think what what the lesson here is, and, then, and we're not going to necessarily learn it really hard for a couple more seasons, but if you have so much of an advantage, it makes you that much of a target. Because, I mean, I think Amanda at this point is like, James has two idols. Like, are you kidding me? Like that is that's ridiculous amount of power and as much as we like him he he just literally cannot this cannot stand. That being said, I mean I I don't want to say I I kind of understand where James is coming from, but we like you said we need to think about the fact that James is kind of treading new ground here. Nobody had ever had yep. Mm-hmm. two immunity idols there was a one point last season where you know both Yao Man and Earl and Alliance had two immunity idols but no one person had two idols and so James was kind of breaking ground here and trying to yep. figure out like okay what's the best way to do so and of all the people to do it I do feel like if someone like Todd or Amanda held those idols I feel like they could have done something very different let's remember that James comes from a culture and an environment where he is you know builds his relationships on loyalty he's not really a people person i'm assuming he had he's been talking about the four 
I'm assuming for the past few weeks at least, ever since John Robert got voted out. And so mm-hmm. he has his undying trust in these people, and he really doesn't know, he doesn't really have history to rely upon to know what to do with these idols. So with those factors combined, while yes, you know, Jeff will at the reunion call it one of the biggest blunders in Survivor history, it all sort of makes sense in James's psychology why he chooses oh. not to play the idol on the one night where he's the big target. Yeah, oh, uh, God... Uh, that 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 irks me to no end that people talk about this as a blunder because a it's a hindsight sort of uh, quarterbacking that you're doing there. That's a Monday morning quarterback, like just you know, absolutely. Oh, it's a blunder. You didn't play your idols, but it's like a we don't you know the, as you said, Mike. This is new ground, and we don't know this. And b like you said, James. It seemed like they did a they deceived him pretty well. Now, the fault that James has, and I think that the other lesson that really comes out of this, if, if you're ready to like derive lessons from older seasons of Survivor, and, and especially from this James boot, it's that you know you see it all the time when people win individual immunity. Like, Forget hidden immunity necklaces for a second. Just think of the individual immunity that you win in challenges. You see it all the time, is that people win immunity and they relax a little bit. Like, not totally, but they relax a little bit because it's like, I can't go home. You know, and, and James doesn't have individual immunity, but he's got two idols and he's got two idols and he's got what he feels to be the majority alliance, which he does. He's in the majority alliance. And so I feel like in a lot of ways, James is like, I'm good. Not not that he was like super like, ah, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, I think that people sort of look at that. And so even when they're holding hidden immunity idols or massive advantages later on in later seasons of Survivor, they realize I still need to work just as hard as if I didn't because the game is constantly moving. And I think James sort of, he coasts a little bit here. Like he, like, like you said, Mike, he's, he's riding on his loyalty and he's not thinking extra hard into anything, you know? And that's sort of, that sort of leads to the, the door open for people to uh, get him out. Well, let's also point out that James, he wasn't really a big survivor fan, right? He was a recruit. Yeah. So it's not like he's watched season upon season. And he knows that it's very common for alliances to turn on each other before they have to. Like he's just, sure kind of assumes it's going to go the way it's always gone because we work so well together. So you can kind of forgive him if he's not aware oh, yeah. of how much danger he's in there. And that, that's the, that's his whole thing with the don't, don't eat the apple thing. Cause his whole thing is like, Hey, let's all get ourselves to four. And then he's even thinking, I get myself to this place where then I just have hidden immunity idols. And then I, I guarantee myself for, but like, you know, he's just like, Hey, let's get there and then turn on each other. And it's like, that's, you know, as we've learned as the game has evolved, that's not how the game works anymore. And, and you know, no one seems particularly thrilled going to the end with James, who is massively nice, is a massive hard worker and is a tough out in challenges. So it's like, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of, of negative factors ticking the boxes to go near the end with James. So the fact that Amanda sees this, sees that the time is now to do this is, is a smart move. And then she actually pulls it off. Like they deceive, they, they deceive James enough to where he's just like, you know what? I, I'm good. I'm not playing an idol. Yeah. That and being it, said, the tribal council, everyone's <laughs> kind of having, kind of having their jollies here. I mean, the jury is lap, basically pointing and laughing at him. Even some of the players in the game are laughing at the outcome as well. Uh, James kind of definitely goes out with his head hung low. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention is that you don't really see it in the episodes, but it shows up in the next episode, is that the other players are a little afraid of James. And Todd says, you know, I I knew if we voted for him, we better get him out or I don't want to be back at camp because he's going to kill us. Like, they're all a little afraid of James. So they took extra special care to do this blindside and make sure it worked because, again, they were all kind of scared for their life if it didn't work. 
So I, I just wanted to point that out. You you have to kind of read between the lines to see that. You don't notice it until the next episode. But yes, so James goes out with a, a lot of people pointing their fingers at him and laughing, and it's one of the... I'm not sure I'd say it's one of the saddest episodes in Survivor history. It's definitely one of the more memorable episodes. Everyone seems to remember it. Even people who don't know or remember much about China remember, oh, James, he went out with two idols, and it was... It's just a big moment and a big ending for who I would argue is the the, the best character in the season. I mean, this this was a big episode here. Yeah, so let's let's talk about James a little bit because I would agree. I mean, he's going to end up winning the first ever Sprint $100,000 fan favorite award, his first of, of two here. I would argue of his three appearances, this is by far his best. This guy is a soundbite machine, and... It's no surprise that he's going to come back next season as a favorite. I think we could argue that there are some diminishing returns to James in his future appearances, but China James is it's, it's fantastic. He's overall great, and America at the time absolutely fell in love with him, head over heels. Yeah, Probst mentions it at the reunion show as well. He goes, I don't think we've had a player quite as popular as you in quite some time. And that's, you have to look at the time, the survivor timeline, and think about that. And I mean, Probst is glossing over Yao Man. I found the lemon tree. It was just the season before. So that's pretty high praise right there. And I do think he's correct. They really hadn't had someone as popular as James. I'm trying to think of when you'd go back to. I guess it would have to go Stephanie and Palau, I think, unless you. I don't know. A lot of people didn't like Ian because they said he quit in in uh, Palau, and Tom was pretty popular. But yeah, James, I think was a whole nother level. He was on the Stephanie level there for a while. Count me in is one of the people that was head over heels for James. I I loved James, and I ne- I needed more James in my life. So the fact that that James comes back several times, uh, that's one where you can justify it every single time. Yeah. Um, as, as Mike said, we get diminishing returns with James in, in his returns, but I always feel like more often than not, you get diminishing returns with returnees. You know, th- there are people that better, I get that fact. But, uh, you know, when someone is just a legend status that James gets in China, and, and, and I agree with you, Mike, James is, there are a lot of great characters in Survivor China. This is a very character-rich season, but James is the top of everyone in the season which is an accomplishment of itself and not only that but he provides this exit where you know he gets two immunity idols and here we have a guy with two hidden immunity idols and someone that we love that has two hidden immunity idols and he gets voted out with them and i think that when that happened at the time i don't think that we were sort of on the bandwagon of you know it was the dumbest thing ever but i think we all just were like oh my god james just james just went out and he had the two idols and it was it was very shocking and so i think that we didn't Turning on James isn't the right point, but we were just basically like, oh, how could you? Yeah, you, know, well, you, like, felt, you felt bad for him. Oh, come right. on, not to yeah. James. How, how could you? You know, but, it, but it's another one of those uh, milestones where we get the guy voted out with two hidden immunity idols. And, and the thing is, is that when you look at it, and I think we've already talked about it a little bit, so I don't want to get into it any further, but you can understand why. And so, you know, when they always talk about like dumbest moves in Survivor history, it's always, it's always fun because you can understand why people do things, you know, like... Uh, I, I, we're we're going to get to Micronesia with, with, with Eric giving up his hidden immunity necklace. And, you know, we can talk about that at length. And I think that you've got a better case for that being a, a humongous blunder than, than this James one. But, you know, you always have to put yourself in everyone's shoes for the move. And I think at this, at this point, we were just very, we were very pro James and sort of taking it all in. So we weren't thinking super objectively about it. Um, but I think that had Survivor China 
existed in this uh, age of of Twitter and uh, of the massive social media and all the podcasting network uh, that's gone around, I think that we probably would have dissected this a little bit more positively for James at the time. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to say is, yeah, people say diminishing returns for James in general. I mean, in in particular, he's one character people like to say got worse as time went along. But like, he had to get worse because he was so amazing the first time. And this is something I say about every other returning player in season is that what he did in other seasons has nothing to do with China. If you just take Survivor China as a piece of entertainment and art, he is amazing. Absolutely one of my favorite characters of all time. Well, I... Is Paul back on? I just want to. Oh, wait. Yeah, hold on. Yeah, I told I told Tim to uh, mute Paul for that entire episode where Amanda came up with a brilliant plan because I didn't want to have to you, type Mario, in. F you, Mario. F you. All right, so you can you can talk again, Paul. We're, we'll let you back. Thank you, Mario. How kind of you. <laughs> yeah. So we just finished the James episode, Paul. James, okay. we're doing our tribute to the dearly departed do you, fallen yeah, funeral. Do you want to do you want to bury James anymore, Paul? Do you want to put the last mound of dirt on him? Well, um, you know, one thing I thought was funny, you know, they don't, there's no early show clips about James, but what I loved about James is watching his extended clips of his ex interview. He says that, you know, he, the reason he got out, it kind of slipped up a little bit was because, you know, everyone knew he was a physical threat, but at that final seven reward challenge, he kind of, the way he was answering questions, people were kind of looking at him differently and they realized that he was actually kind of smart. So that's kind of what did him in is he let it <laughs> slip how intelligent he was. His knowledge of ancient China did him in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go down to the final six now. This is the, the Eric episode. Oh, boy. Yay, Eric. Eric. Well, <laughs> it's, it's more so the, unfortunately, the Todd sister has a miscarriage episode more so than it is the Eric episode. <laughs> hey, um, but you get to hear some Amanda and her sister bird calls, so I'm glad Paul's back. Yeah, I, I'll have plenty <laughs> to say about that. <laughs> What's the state bird of uh, Montana, Paul? The meadowlark. <laughs> I knew you'd know that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> how do you think we communicate with each other? You like before you learn to talk, you learn how to crow like a meadowlark. Oh, I thought you meant that you like use them as like carrier pigeons because you all live no, so far away from each other. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't domesticate a, a meadowlark. You must, you know, recreate the sound to communicate. I just picture these schools in Montana. Just kids running around, chirping like birds. <laughs> having- <laughs> Blurred asses everywhere. Wait, I'm sorry. Does the meadowlark sound like the Tuki Tuki bird from George of the well, Jungle? Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to recreate what. Uh, I actually don't know what the hell a meadowlark sounds like, but that's what. Uh, that's the noise they're making or that challenge. That's what I was trying to recreate. All right, so here we go. We're down to the final six. You got the final four. Phalongs. Uh, I've already forgotten the tribe now. We got the final four of them, and then the. The two other ones, you got Eric and PG. So uh, we just got rid of James. Everyone jokes, you know, if James, if he had survived that blindside, he would all murder us right now. And I, they're only half joking about this. And uh, this is, uh, we just end with a shot of everyone being cold in a cave. They're all huddling and the rain's coming down and everyone's homesick and lonely. And the minute they start talking on Survivor about missing their families and how lonely they are, you know what's coming next. It's the family visit. Which is always good. Yes. Family visits are always fun. Well, especially my, my favorite family visits are personally the ones where they compete in the challenge just because, you know, if you get the you get the heartwarming aspects or you get the lull worthy aspects of, for example, Reed Donaldson. So really, you can't go wrong when they participate in the challenge with them. I, I, demand, really wish- I, I, I demand a three hour podcast on Reed Donaldson alone. <laughs> Well, I just wish, you know, we call a lot of similarities back to Survivor Thailand with the, you know, the Asian theme. I just wish we would have brought back CeCe Heidek just because 
you know, we're doing a challenge at the final six in an Asian country. Like, I think she has to be there for it. Wait, oh, Paul, she got it working now. All, she got it working. Are you saying all Asian seasons look alike to you, Paul? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh, let's just say I, I just I just don't notice the difference. <laughs> I, I want to point out to our to to everybody that the the population density of Montana is six people per square mile. So that explains Paul's ignorance pretty well, I would think. Forty <laughs> first state, baby, keep them covered, Jay. How many meadowlarks per square mile? Yeah, let's get that stat. Well, it's got to be more than six. Well, the Meadowlarks can take over that state any but day. But it's always, it's always an even number so that they can communicate with each other back and forth. What's the official <laughs> flower of Montana, Paul? The Bitterroot. Oh, my God. You, it's like <laughs> oh. right off. What's the state song? Montana, Montana, glory of the West. I'm going to stop there. I'll keep, <laughs> no, keep going. I don't, I don't get it yet. Keep doing it until it's I recognize it. All the states from coast to coast, you're easily the best. Then you repeat again, Montana, and then you go, uh, skies are always blue. Then you chant. This is the fun part. You go, M-O-N-T-A-N-A, Montana, I love you. Wait, so they're just, they're just blatantly ripping off Rodgers and Hammerstein with this state song? Uh, no, Mike, it's the Montana song. <laughs> Don't they have any bird calls in there or anything like that? That's like the remix. <laughs> and brr, oh, brr, and brr, tea, brr. It doesn't, it doesn't, <laughs> It's not as like fun to sing, you know. Because, no, is it, you have to is sing it, it with the person. So as I go, brr, you have to go, cacao. So I have to go like, and brr, and brr. It's kind of hard to do, you know. Wow. We're totally gonna put that. That's gonna be the stinger at the end of the episode. Paul singing the song. We get to immortalize that. Oh, so they're gonna welcome. listen to it. They're gonna listen to it in the episode, and then at the end. <laughs> All right. Yeah, here we go. The loved ones challenge where Probe says, okay, you have to go through this maze and you're going to be blindfolded and you have to run into your partner and the two of you have to make it through the maze together. And uh, he says, oh, and here's your loved one. Here's your partners. And he brings out the loved ones. And this is uh, always the big moment in every season. And first out is Eric's mom, Denise, which complicates things. We have two Denises out there now, which is a lot of Denise. Yeah, thank God Eric wasn't shouting Denise during the challenge or things would have gotten very confusing. Yeah. And we have Amanda's sister, Katrina. Paul, Paul, what can you tell us about Katrina? Uh, I'm not sure if we talked about it on the podcast or not. Maybe we alluded to it. I can't remember, but I'll, I'll tell it again. That uh, What I do know about Katrina is I actually, when I was going to school, not when China was airing, it must have been by the time Heroes vs. Villains was airing, but I knew someone who went to high school with Katrina, which is in a different city in Montana, and he didn't know much. He didn't like know her too well. He just remembered. He's like, oh, yeah, that girl kind of had the weird senior picture where she was like, really like really kind of too close to a horse like her head like it was kind of like horse head and katrina head together with kind of like a seductive look in her eye maybe a zombie look in her eye and she was just like very very close to this horse head so um that's what i know about katrina <laughs> wait you know katrina because people gossip that she might have fucked a horse that's what you're saying <laughs> just that she had it interesting senior picture with a she horse. Catherine the Great? What the hell is going on here? See, I, I bring actual good Montana facts to this podcast. That's fantastic. I want like, an actual were- copy of it, though. I should have asked for the actual copy. Oh, we'll, we'll find one. We'll make it at the cover of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad she and her sister weren't doing horse calls then instead of bird calls. That would have made far more sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know if Katrina's going to be going for something, it's a horse. So bad. Yeah, so bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
So yeah, next up we have PG's father Lawrence and Todd's sister Brandy. Oh, and uh, Courtney's father Graham, who comes out in a suit, which I, I like that. And of course, Courtney's dad is British. That's where she gets her dry wit from. <laughs> yes, I'm English. I don't do shorts. All right, but this is where we get the controversial, and I'm not actually not joking. This actually was fairly controversial at the time. The uh, where uh, Todd asks his sister Brandy, "Hey, how's our little sister doing?" and and uh, Kim, her name is Kim. How's Kim doing? And Brandy says, "Oh, Kim miscarried the baby." And it's kind of this big emotional moment, and everyone's like, and "Jeff is like, wait, what was that?" It's kind of this. It's a big moment because we'll just say because of Courtney coming up here. <laughs> so anyway, just file that away from later. We have the uh, the very sad news of the uh, the miscarried baby. Okay. And then we also have uh, Denise's husband Robert, who's also in a suit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I I love Robert. He like cracks me up. He has some good little one liners in this uh, in his short stay. So I'm a huge Robert fan. Is Robert the guy that looks like a Viking? I'm trying to remember him. It's the guy that looks kind of like Papa Bear. <laughs> yeah, Papa Smurf. Papa's Papa Bear. Papa Smurf. Are they <laughs> Same made thing. It. What are you saying? All so, but, Papas look alike, Mike. That's racist. They, yes, you know, they they didn't really want to like um, bring up the fact they look like Papa Smurf because he's still waiting for that little thing called All Stars Two. <laughs> so they they don't want to spoil that. <laughs> All right, so yeah, this is the blindfolded maze where they're all running through trying to meet up with each other. And the winner gets a boat trip, lunch, and they get a sprint phone where they can call back home. And this is where Probes goes into super douchey sprint uh, spokesman mode where he's like, you know, sprint is known for speed and communication. Like, thanks, Jeff. All right, so uh, yeah, we go to the challenge. They're all just, it's a free-for-all, people blindfold running through the maze, crashing into each other. Remember at one point, Courtney's dad gets hit in the face. He's like, bloody nose, bloody nose. And then Amanda and her sister are doing bird calls to try to get each other's attention. And Denise at one point says, stop that noise. I mean, that was funny. I like how uh, PG runs into Lauren. They run into each other. And Lawrence tries to point her in the right direction. She points out like, that's not going to (laughs) work. And uh, and there's another good Courtney moment. I forgot. I didn't actually mention this on the Funny 115 because I didn't catch it at the time where uh, probes is commenting. He's like, Courtney, still looking for her father. And Courtney's like, oh, stop it, Probes. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, once again, uh, Amanda and her sister doing horse calls. And uh, at the end, Denise, Denise and uh, her fa- her husband, Robert, win reward. They get up on the platform and they get, they get their sprint phone. Okay, what else is happening here? So Denise wins reward. She gets to bring two survivors with her on the little sprint reward. So she reward. takes PG right away, no-brainer? Yeah, because, I mean, PG took her to the Shaolin Temple, so of course yeah, you're going to read that. Once-in-a-lifetime experience where she got to do martial arts. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> martial arts will never not make me laugh. All right, so yeah, so then Denise gets to bring two survivors, and she snubs PG, and she takes Todd and Amanda. And so uh, PG is not happy about this. She contains herself pretty well here. She says she's upset. It's not until next episode where she like goes batshit crazy, but she's definitely upset by this. And luckily, I mean, if we're going along with like the Terry Dietz tearing, right, of like spouses are more important than kids who are more important than parents, I think we like adhere to this system at least. The, the one pair of spouses won, and then they picked, I don't know, the, 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 the two pairs of siblings. So I guess that sort of falls within the tearing system. It does. Yeah, Terry would be pleased with those results. 
Yeah. All right. I mean, you you are yeah. You have to remember this. It, it it's always tough when it goes like this. But but you know, PG is upset and she's gonna go crazy. But I think part of that is again not a lack of a sounding board, and just the fact that yeah, okay, she took Denise on that reward last time, and I and I get the fact that it's not. I I totally get it. But on the other hand. Are you super surprised at this point that no one is picking you for things because you have consistently not been picked for things, you know? Yeah. It's totally justified to be bitter. I get it. Like, I, I'm not saying I don't get it, but it's just at the same time, it's like, yeah, PG, I'm not picking you because we haven't picked you. You're annoying and you carry very little uh, strategic weight in this game. And, and at that point, you kind of have to throw up your hands and go, yep, of course, and not, not again. Well, yeah, I mean, you're going to be on the jury. You already hate all of us, so what do we care if you hate us all more? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, so we go on this great reward where it's uh, Todd, Amanda, and Denise, and, and I just wrote on my notes here, I love that they have this great emotional family reward shot, and every, every scene has Amanda's blurred ass in it still. <laughs> and also her, like, screaming bloody murder when that <laughs> chocolate cake comes out. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys her get a lot of chocolate cake? Is... What? I was, I was going to say, do you guys get a lot of chocolate cake in Montana? That's the, the state cake, so that's the appropriate call you make. It's kind of like a horse going, ah! I wonder what the cake density is per square mile. <laughs> All right, my so yeah. Part of, my favorite part of this, though, is, though, is like when Denise gets to call home to her girls. And um, uh, she has such a riveting conversation with her daughter. She says, uh, she doesn't really know what to say. She says hi and stuff. And she says, um, Daddy's here with me. And her daughter goes, I know. <laughs> and then she says, I smell bad. Can you smell me from here? And then uh, the uh, Robert goes, smell-o-vision. And I love it. She's like, well, how'd you, how'd you do in your tenement? You come in, how'd you do? She's like, we, we came in third. It's like, oh, you <laughs> came in third in your tenement. <laughs> it's, it's riveting. I can't do the, the Denise like Mike can, but... Um, well, yeah, your Boston television. accent is like, is like slowly going to Australian doctor realm, and, I, and I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it very much. Tell me, honey, can you, can you poop? <laughs> exactly, right? How's your poop doing? <laughs> do you think Denise feeds her kids like she feeds the kids at school? Like, make sure you, you spoon out the Slappy Joes I warmed up for you. <laughs> Have some cod. We all know she isn't a lunch lady, Mario. Stop feeding the lie. (laughs) All right. Yeah, okay. So there'll be no more making fun of the players on this podcast. We'll stop here. All right. Uh, (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. So, yeah, back at camp, we have Eric and uh, Todd, or Eric and Courtney talking. And this is the scene. Again, this was actually fairly controversial. I remember a lot of discussion about this on the time on the message boards where where Eric says, you know what? I'm not sure I bought Todd's, the, the story about Todd's sister having a miscarriage. And Courtney says, <laughs> again, this will only be one of the three or four worst things Courtney will say during the season. Where she says, Courtney's like, oh yeah, I agree. She's like, oh gee, my uh, teenage sister had an unplanned teen pregnancy and a convenient miscarriage. You'd think she wouldn't want the world to know about that. So there's Courtney uh, slinging daggers at people again. And, and what's, what, what I wanted to point out about this is why this is fairly controversial is that a lot of people were very upset that Courtney would make fun. Courtney and Eric, I guess, to a lesser extent, would make fun of this miscarriage. And then there are a lot of people who felt very, felt very strongly agreed with them and said, "Absolutely, you have to call that stuff out because on Survivor, people are going to lie about that stuff." So people were very, very invested about this on the message boards at the time. 
So this is when this is the moment where we go down to Virginia and we knock on Johnny Fairplay's door. And we point at him and say, "This is all your fault because had the grandma <laughs> lie not happened, this conversation never would have taken place." Yeah, and it's just one of those interesting things that came up, and it's and I just I just give you a personal experience with with me. My wife and I we have two kids now. We had a miscarriage in the middle. She miscarried a baby in between the two, and like we couldn't have cared less. It's like eh, it's, it's miscarriage, whatever. You just joke about it, like. If a kid wasn't meant to be born, he's not going to be born. You don't want it to go all the way, and you miscarry like two months. It's like no harm, no foul, nothing happened. But to a lot of people, that's a really big deal. Like you don't joke about that. That's a, that's like a, a horrific, horrific loss of life. So it's it, there's some really uh, varied opinions on how big a deal a miscarriage it really is, and that, that's just something I, I remember noticing at the time. It, some people really were hurt by the scene. Yeah, but that being said, uh, as you said, it's it's a, it's a personal it's a very personal thing. And, and, and I guess Mario, what you're saying is that people interpret it differently, but I feel like if your interpretation is more on the, it's no big deal side, I think that mm-hmm. you have to know that, you know, people feel very differently on the other side. And I feel yeah. like you should probably be sensitive to that. Not, not to say that you should switch your view or something like that, yeah. but probably See, be I- aware of that fact. I honestly didn't know that this was a big deal to people until I saw their fallout to this episode with people commenting on it and saying how sad it was and how Courtney wouldn't shouldn't even dare talk about that that stuff. So, yeah, I just it was something I didn't realize that that miscarriages are that big a deal to some people, but it, apparently it really are, they really are. So, this is one that I, I I'm a little more sensitive when I watch the scene now. But I, again, I should point out like. Mike said, I mean, Fairplay introduced this as part of the game now where people are using sympathy and dead relatives to get to get, you know, curry favor. So it's Courtney is not out of the realm of questioning it, nor is Eric. I mean, unfortunately, that's what Fairplay did to the game. Now you have to think twice about some of these things. So it was just a weird scene. And again, it was really a lot of people just bashing on Courtney at the time where, you know, Courtney's kind of a beloved character. Most people like her. She was not always universally Loved a lot of people did not like things about her in China, and this is one of the quotes. And this Denise sucks at life one will be even worse later down the road. But this this was actually the first one. Well, I think you also look at like how they talked about this. Like you have Eric saying like, "Well, you know, if that really did happen, my condolences to to his family." But and mm-hmm. then you have Courtney giving like the. Then you have Jeff Probst saying, "Todd, it seems like you got some bad news. What happened?" So it's just kind of like how it was presented, I think, <laughs> which yeah. is like why we love Courtney, but why people would be more offended by what Courtney was saying. <laughs> I have to say, I, I, you know, I put the dead grandma thing as number one on the funny 115, and that was not received very well. Most people did not like that choice. I got so much hate mail over that at the time. And then Courtney comes around here and really, really backs up everything I was trying to say, where she says, you know, this, this uh, miscarriage thing was totally Johnny Fairplay. My grandma's died. And then she said the quote that I will always hold near and dear to my heart. You can almost forgive that. That's funny. So I will always forgive Courtney for kind of standing up for what I had said before. That, that was really a dead grandma thing. It was just funny that someone would actually try to use that. So, so I'm glad that more people have softened on that dance over the years. Because like for years, that dead grandma thing, you couldn't even joke that that was funny. You'd get, they'd rail on you. So if people wonder why I like Courtney so much, I'm, she's one of my favorites. This, I'm, this, I'm very near and dear to my, my heart, that last quote right there, that she backs up the dead grandma thing as being funny. All right, so back at camp, we have, uh, 
we have the the people that didn't get picked on the reward. We have Eric. We have PG and uh, or no, everyone's back now. They're come back from the reward. The loved ones are there, and there's a great scene where Amanda's sister is jumping in the lake, and they blur her ass, her ass too, which always makes me laugh when I see it. Like, what the hell is up with the underwear in Montana, Paul? It's versatile. I mean, you can take it to like ancient Chinese ruins. You can take them, you know, to a family reunion. It just, you know, half blurred ass. Just it goes anywhere. Yeah, it's big. It's big sky country, not big panty country. It's great for riding horses, and um, the horse likes it too. Is it edible for the horse? What, I, what is going on? All yeah, started it. I don't know if is bestiality like the limit we've hit at Survivor Historians. <laughs> where, where does that uh, show up on the Scoville scale of spiciness? Mike? I know I, we're 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 all we're our tongues are burning right now. I think we have to go to the, seek medical attention. <laughs> all right, sorry Jay. I'm sorry we've offended you. Jay's a teacher. He works with kids. We can't be making racy jokes now. I guess Paul is too, though. So never mind. I take that back. Uh, there, there's a fun moment with Robert here. I like Paul. I, I really enjoy Robert too. Where like Robert talks to Denise and he's like, he's like, you know what? I think, I think you're you're gonna win. You're gonna take it home. But then he like casually backs off of it as he keeps talking to her as like, yeah, you'll be either you know number one or number two. <laughs> you'll come home. You'll you might come home with the money, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they hold your job as a lunch lady. That'd be good. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll go back. I'll make sure your job is completely secure by the time <laughs> you get back to Boston. Yeah. All right, so we get to the point now where this is a kind of a major story showing up where Amanda and Todd start talking about being worried that Denise might make the final three because she would be a sympathy case and she needs the money and she's a mom. And so this is, it's like a, a three episode arc here where and now we start worrying that Denise can't, we can't let her into that final three. And now we're going to go to the immunity challenge. This is the final six immunity challenge. And this is the one where you uh, go through an obstacle course tied to a rope, and you have to unlock the three locks, correct? Yeah, and like we kind of mentioned before, it's essentially you have to unlock three locks with three keys, but when you get to the end of the station, you're going to get two statements. One is true, one is false. They're going to end up all being about inventions that the Chinese had, and if you pick the true key then that unlocks the lock and you can keep going if it's a false key you have to go all the way back and get the other one which ends up costing todd the win it's pretty much todd amanda and pg the entire time but then amanda and todd both fall out of it and pg comes from behind to get a much needed immunity yeah and this is what i'm saying this is where pg is getting this nice little underdog scrappy edit here where she's like it's like a big moment she wins she saves herself and uh, it's it she has a good little arc here coming down at the end all right, so PG is vulnerable. The only one, or the PG is protected. The only person really vulnerable tonight is going to be Eric. So uh, that's, I'm trying to think, is there any even suspense over this vote? Who else could it possibly be? The only suspense is that PG goes to Denise and says, the only chance we have is to basically have you force a tie. And they're very adamant about getting rid of Todd because he's the biggest, like, he's obviously the fulcrum in the Faylong Alliance. But that being said, it's interesting to find out in the reunion that Denise admits, and maybe, the, again, this is like hindsight being twenty twenty. if you had suggested Courtney, like apparently she had been pushing for, Denise could have swung over to them, and we could have possibly seen like a Purple Rock scenario happen here at the final six. Mm. That's right, yeah. This, so yeah, this is the one where they, yeah, they're trying to get him to 
get Denise to vote for Todd, and Denise basically has the fate of the game in her hands. This is basically the GG episode. Like, whatever Denise decides here will out dictate the rest of the game. And yeah, so Denise sticks with her alliance. She sticks with the four. They vote out Eric, and now we're down to the final five. We lose the beloved Eric. As I said before, I think I said it on a, on a uh, previous podcast. Even though Eric's not the most uh, exciting of, of of people and and exciting of television, Eric seems like one of the genuinely nicest people to play Survivor. Yeah, and they all say that repeatedly throughout the season. You know, he's just a nice guy. Like he's he's no no errors about him. There's nothing fake. He's just a, a good dude. He's just swell. Yep, swell is Who's a good. Who's more word. interesting, Eric or uh, Nick Brown? Well, you know oh. my answer. Oh my yeah, goodness! Yeah, I'm asking you, Mario. We know I was you. waiting for you guys to jump in before I answered. Nick. Well, I mean, I don't think uh, Eric made any jokes about chicken wings at some point during China, so I might have to go with Nick Brown as well. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. All right, yeah. so here we go, <laughs> and thus ends our um, testimonial for Eric. All right, so we oh okay, we could point out. Did we point out already? He's married to Jamie. I forget if we mentioned that in part. Yeah, two, I think we talked about that with the Jamie stuff. All right, so Jamie must be pretty cool too if she's married to Eric because Eric's a good dude. Yeah, that's that's like the you know we have like what Rob and Amber are probably the most uh, noteworthy of of Survivor couples that you know mm-hmm. come out and and you know that going strong. God love them and all that sort of stuff. And we've had survivor couplings through the years, makeups and breakups and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, Eric and Jamie, you know, met on Survivor China and they're married and, and it seems like, you know, everything's great. And, and, and I'm not one to comment on people's personal lives and all that other sort of stuff, but it's like, it's just so funny that like, that's, it seems like such a fantastic and successful pairing of these two. And it's like, no one really ever mentions them much when they talk about like survivor, you know, uh, relationship things and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, Eric and Jamie, they just, you know, they did the thing. Good, yeah. good for them. And they even won an $80,000 wedding um, to, to get married. So they had a very fancy wedding for free. Hey, hey. How, how did they do that? It was some, like, radio or some, like, contest where you had to get, like, the most something. So I think they, you know, they used their Survivor fandom to, to get people to vote for them so that they could have their dream wedding. Fantastic. All right. Yeah, good for them. They played the system. They went back into the real world. They're happily married so good for them and they have kids now correct so eric is not a virgin eric has, has passed the virginity stage unless Thank it was to our uh, source, Ellis- renee seiler for this information <laughs> yeah. yeah unless unless it was an immaculate conception that's a good point you do have to factor that in it may have happened yes jamie may have given given birth to the second coming of christ we're not <laughs> sure at this point the christ child so, Mar- so jamie could be the mother of the christ child is what you're saying yes Okay. No, I heard Todd said she miscarried, though. <laughs> oh. oh. Put the car crash in again. Okay. Oh. <laughs> crash. <laughs> you guys are killing me on this one. Okay. Final five. Basically, it's four against PG. Here we go. The final episode. PG's last stand. And this is at the start of the episode. Sorry, what was that? To this, I think just like. I mean, we eventually get down to a final three. We could talk about if this season would be better with a final two. Um, I think, like, this, it's a pretty okay pacing for this final five, but then, like, the pacing really slows down for the final four. I think that this would work so much better if this was part of the finale, having this final five chunk. I just wanted to throw that yeah. out there. Yeah, I think yeah, the, I the, the, the first half of this finale coming up might be one of the slower 
finales we've had maybe since Australia. I would I would even be so controversial as to say it's because I mean again not to get too far ahead, but once it becomes a solid threesome and then Denise, you're basically delaying the inevitable for an entire hour at that point. Yeah. Yeah, this would have been a fantastic final two. I will agree with that. All right, so we get to the final five, and uh, Denise tells us, you know, I played it safe last night. I, I may have made the biggest mistake of the game not getting rid of Todd. So, good, good job, Denise. But at least she has her karate. <laughs> yes. And let's see. So we go to the reward challenge, and this is the one where they shoot a uh, fourth-century Chinese repeating crossbow, which was actually invented in Shanghai by Coach Wade back in 350. <laughs> <laughs> no fact. The interesting element about this challenge, though, is that the the contestants get to decide who gets, you know, how many arrows, and that's going to determine you have a larger chance of winning, obviously, if you have more arrows. It's kind of uh, funny to me that they put this challenge in at the final five when things are kind of set in stone now who the majority is and why this wasn't put in a round or two earlier to create mm. some, you know, some mistrust within the alliance. I mean, this challenge is weird anyway, just because we'll find that pretty much Todd is the only one that can actually shoot the repeating crossbow accurately. Everyone else is just kind of blindly shooting in the dark. So it's mainly just, you know, giving Courtney, for example, 12 more chances to to give other people points. But yeah, I mean, as much as, you know, PG might have maybe alienated people with her social actions, this is a little rough to watch. She gets one pity arrow from Courtney and that's it. Yeah, this should have been much earlier. Although, uh, we should point out again, as cool as the Shaolin Temple reward was, I think this one probably even blows that away. I guess depending on your scale of which is more historic. But the winner of this one gets to go to the Great Wall of China. They get to eat dinner on top of it and spend the night on top of the Great Wall of China. Which is, like like Jay had pointed out, absolutely one of the coolest rewards I've ever seen on Survivor. Not getting much better than that. It's pretty good. I think it's it's like that... Volcano in Vanuatu, hot air balloon in Africa. Those are pretty much like the top three. Yeah, and the one Snickers bar in Marquesas. That's true. (laughs) Although the the players, of course, have the chance to not only win the night on the Great Wall of China, one of the most epic Chinese things you can do, but keep the one native Chinese person from experiencing that, which is another thing they can do. So that's, that's the bonus here. All right, so as Paul said, they get a bunch of arrows. You have to distribute them to each person. You can't distribute them to yourself. You basically pick who's going to get the most shots. And naturally, they all give their arrows to Courtney. She gets 12 out of the possible 25 arrows, which is fantastic. It shows what they think of Courtney as a competitor. She can't even hold them all in her hand. They're, like, falling out of her hand. She's like, whoa! (laughs) Yeah, her arm breaks off. (laughs) (laughs) All right, yeah, so PG shoots, she gets her one arrow, she misses, then Denise comes up next, she hits her own, I think she hits her own target once, then Amanda comes up, she accidentally hits a couple of Denise's targets, and then Todd, like uh, they said, was the only, I think Jay said this, was the only one who actually knew how to shoot. Todd hits himself five times in a row, and then Courtney goes up there, and Courtney basically (laughs) is like firing rock salt, that's how, how accurate she is, she has no idea where any of these targets, these arrows are going. She accidentally hits just about everybody in the game except for herself, I think. And going into the last shot, it's now tied between Denise and Todd. And Courtney's last shot, which again, I don't think she has any idea where the hell it's going, hits Denise, and Denise ends up winning reward. Denise will spend the night on the Great Wall of China. This is, and you know, we, we talked before about how, like, 
Todd gets brought on probably like a record number of rewards until like JT comes along in token chains. But Denise is going to have gone on like these past three rewards. So it's crazy that the one of the people to experience these once in a lifetime opportunities in China is the lunch lady with the mullet from Boston. <laughs> yes. So yeah, so Denise goes, she gets to bring one person, she brings Courtney, because Courtney is the one who accidentally gave her the win, and then she gets to pick one more person, and naturally PG's like, hey, I took you to the Shaolin Temple, how about you take me, and I can go see my heritage and be on the Great Wall of China, and Denise is like, yeah, how about I take Todd? <laughs> so <laughs> PG gets snubbed again, and again, she has a really rough last couple of days here in China. How about you don't eat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll all go and we'll have Chinese food and none of us will know how to pronounce it or how to eat it and we'll just complain about it afterwards. How about that? Well, PG takes it really well though, so at least there's that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, PG, she has a little shit fit here. She's not not happy, but again, who can blame her? But, but then again, at the same point, like Jay said, who can blame the other people for not taking her? Like, well, she's the enemy. I don't want her getting all these rewards. Hello, I'm still a person. <laughs> yes. Yep, there's that quote. <laughs> Yep. So we have the three of them going off to the Great Wall, and then this is something I, I think Mike might have mentioned earlier. We get a lot of Amanda and PG bonding here, which is it's interesting they show as much of this as they do. It's when I'm watching it this last time, I'm realizing they're showing so much of Amanda, like making bonds with people, doing strategy. Like Amanda's totally getting a winner's edit here, and there's a lot of scenes in this episode I didn't think would be there if I didn't think Amanda was being set up as a winner. Yeah, like like we talked about before. there were incorrect spoilers out at the time that Amanda was going to win this season. And I think for a while, the naysayers were like, I, this can't be true. This is, you know, the woman whose ass is blurred all the time and is playing second fiddle to Todd, but really starting with the James boot, people are like, Oh wow. She's really coming into her own. And I mean, we've had winners that have had less prevalent edits. So really going into probably the final tribal council, I think everyone was actually kind of betting on, the jury to really be against Todd and to really side with Amanda over, like you said, these relationships. I mean, she's going to she's gonna pave the way with PG here, though. Let's also compare this to PG's jury statement later on where she will rake Amanda over the coals for having doe eyes and looking sad all the time. Yeah, Amanda gets a really interesting edit, and, and I'm not joking. I would like to hear Paul's thoughts on this because I know you're a big Amanda fan. Um, yeah, well, actually... Well, what, Paul, let me talk for... Just kidding. Okay, do you want to say something, Jay? Go for it. What, what no. fact do you have? Come on, what do you want about Montana? Let's go. Before Alaska became a nation, Montana, or a state, Montana was known as the ice box of the nation. What else you got? Uh, the state motto of Montana is Oro y Plata. Oro y Plata. Yes, we're very, very, uh, worldly in Montana. What does that mean? Uh, Oro y Plata gold is gold and silver. silver in Spanish. Okay. Not to be confused um, with Fomo o Plata, which was Pablo Escobar's uh, tactic for dealing with people, which was, you know, uh, was it like steel or lead or silver? My God, oh, Jay, did, Pablo Escobar, so did Pablo Escobar hide all his storage in Montana without oh anyone realizing God. it? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, go, Paul. So to go back to Amanda here, I wonder how much of what we see in the end of Amanda is the fact that we know she's going to be in Micronesia. I, I want to know what impact that had on the season at all and how she's presented at the end. Mm. Um, or if she's just legitimately being presented in a way to give, to give someone taught to give Todd a run for his money because Todd has been such a dominant um, storyline since episode one. So I kind of go back and forth. What exactly, you know, was, was the, 
was the intent to make her so visible. I also think just that, like, at this point in the game, with this many people left, like, PG has the underdog edit, and then you have, like, Todd has kind of his winner thing going on, and then, like, Courtney's, like, funny, but, like, it's kind of hard to edit Courtney in that way. It's kind of hard to edit Denise in that way, so it kind of leaves, if Amanda's giving this stuff, you know, to make her seem like she's really on top of things and really, like, gonna take it to the end, like, why not show it? Because she seems like the only viable competitor to place up against Todd. It's funny, I never even crossed my mind before that they might be hyping Amanda here just because she's on Micronesia the next season. And it's funny because that's been my criticism of Russell Hans for years that they always, that I always say, well, the only reason Samoa is edited the way it is is because it's a commercial for heroes versus villains, which was already filmed. And that totally makes sense why Amanda would get so much visibility here towards the end because they want you to respect her and like her and think she's a viable competitor going into the next season, knowing full well that she's in the final three. So, and actually, that's a very good point I'm, I'd never thought of before, so I'm glad you mentioned that. I finally be, contributed something. It could be recursive as well in that maybe production really loved the stuff she was doing at the end. I mean, I know like Malcolm Freeberg got asked back to do Survivor Caramoa literally the minute he stepped off of Survivor Philippines. And maybe it was like a very similar story with Amanda where like they really Im- impressed her towards the latter stages of the game. So, you know the most recent events being probably the most prevalent in their minds. They thought like, oh yeah, while the iron's hot, let's grab her for this next season. I don't think they really realized that by the time Micronesia rolls around, Amanda will probably be one of the more WTF choices for the favorites tribe, but probably at the time on location, they were really warm on her. I think that it's a combination of all of those things. And I I think that Paul's point of sort of setting it up for uh, Micronesia is is there as well because I think when when people look and and people try to dissect survivor editing you know and, and this is where Edgic sort of comes into play and stuff like that and I think Edgic had uh, Amanda as like a huge winner this season uh, don't get don't quote me on that but I think that was what it was and, and as you said also Mike with the incorrect spoilers of Amanda winning you look at this this scene uh, where they're at the Great Wall of China and Amanda is talking to PG and is making relationships and bonds so when people talk about you know, oh, Jay, you say on her Survivor Historians, or are you guys on the Historians say, hey, you got to sh- make relationships and you got to be shown doing that. And, uh, and well, here's Amanda doing that. And then she's, you know, going to get, you know, just eviscerated in the final tribal council. And I'm like, well, yeah, but she patches things up with PG and then summarily eliminates her. Yeah. So, like, you always have to look at context and everything as well. It's like in that scene, that scene, yes, is very positive. You could see Amanda making sort of context, but at the end of this episode, they are all going to just vote PG out just like they were. And so I'm sure, you know, when PG is raking Amanda over the coals at, at Final Trouble Council, I mean, that's the whole thing is everyone's like, yeah, but she patched things up with PG. It's like, but did she? Yeah. Y- y- you always have to look at those things in a context. And you notice it happens in the next episode, too, where she promises Denise she's not going to vote for her tonight, and then she just does it. Yes. Okay. Okay, good. This is good. So I understand Amanda's edit a little more now. That's good. Okay, so I, again, I want to talk about this food where, where they're eating Denise and uh, Courtney and Todd are eating on the Great Wall. And I didn't really get a good look of what, and they couldn't figure out how to cook that food. Is it, is it like boiling water or is it oil that they're cooking the food in? How does that work? Yeah, that, sure that, that's, that's, that's hot pot cooking. Okay, that's a hot pot. Yeah. Not a hot so pot. No, not a hot pot. That, that, that's a hot pot. So it's 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 hot pot's usually uh, like a flavored oil or, or or some substance. I mean, I, I could be wrong on that, but that's the whole thing. Is where you take like the raw meat and vegetables and you dip it in there and it will cook it, and then you you pull it out and you eat it. It's it's quite delicious. Okay, it's good to know. Who See? is Jeopardy J? 
<laughs> Most of our listeners already knew that, I'm sure, so I sound like an idiot, so I'm glad Jay explained it. <laughs> I didn't know either, Mario, but I mean, I yeah, got right. Montana Pass, so... Montana. <laughs> <don't really> count. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm from Seattle. They don't have Asian food in... Actually, they do. Never mind. That looks worse. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, yeah, this is where Denise, Denise, we start getting a lot of confessionals with Denise. She's like, I know they're going to vote me out at the Final Four. I'm just doing whatever I can. I don't want to be left out. I just have to be part of that group. So you can see this big Denise tragedy coming down the road. They're, they're hinting at it left and right at this point. Uh, no, wait, just, 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 to, just to go. The hot pot could be, it, it could be a lot of things. You know, when you say it's just water, it's not all just, it's not oil. It's not like a frying sort of thing. But it's, it's like a... I want to say flavored water, like a what's what's the word I'm looking for, like a like a like a stock or a broth, you know? Broth, okay. Uh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, and and it's heated, and then you dip the things in, and it it will cook it, and you know has the flavor and all that sort of stuff. Look at Jay going to the fancy restaurants. Well, either way, the youngins that went on this reward did not enjoy the fact that they had to actually put effort into creating their meal. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they come back and they all complain about it. And PG is incredibly just offended by this. Like, you guys had the greatest reward ever. You got authentic hot pot on the Great Wall of China. And they just come back and bitch about it. And I think later that night, Todd complains that Amanda cooked too much rice or something. Or maybe yeah, that's the next also- day. This is also when Denise goes to Amanda and says, like, hey, yeah, uh, we had sandwiches that we were going to bring to you guys, but then Todd ate them on the plane, which I know we talked last time about, like, Todd's kind of complex negative edit that occurs specifically towards the middle of the game, and it is going to rear its ugly head in these last couple episodes because we're going to get hammered in again and again over the next two episodes about how both Courtney and Todd believe that they are the devil incarnate and the meanies of the people that are left and that they are not going to get any votes at the final three. Yeah. And again, just to to follow up on something Jay said earlier, it was not a slam dunk that Todd was going to win this game, according to the edit at the time. And again, a lot of people think now, oh, Todd dominated that game. He was the star. But at the time, it was not obvious that Todd was going to run away with this thing. Like, they they really complexed his edit up, and they, they complexed Amanda's edit around a lot, too. So again, anybody who says that everyone knew Todd was going to win and he dominated the season, is not that's not accurate. All right. So no, we go to I, the- no it, it, I'll back that up, and and I think that this is one of those where returning seasons and returning things really sort of comes into play in the sense that I mean, it see, I remember at the time thinking that Amanda had a legitimate shot at winning this game, um, you know, and I've gotten better at reading edits since China, but I wasn't terrible at that point as well, and and it was it was possible for it to go either way, and now Amanda is kind of like this running Maymay in Survivor where it's like. You know, she she's gonna she's gonna biff tribal council so badly here in China, and well, we have Micronesia. <laughs> we're, we're gonna have more seasons of Amanda just doing Amanda like things, and you know, I think that when then when people think about Survivor China, they sort of take all of that the the other seasons that we see Amanda and kind of you know use that and kind of bias back towards China, and it's like you can't do that. You have to you know this is all we know of her at the time. And this is how what we knew. We didn't know that Amanda was a colossal failure in Final final Tribal Council. So, you know, we we just kind of have to go with what we see. And what we see right now is that Amanda's looking decent and Todd is looking, yeah, okay. Looking a little shitty. I thought you meant by running meme that her running literally is a meme about how that the running is is also the running is also a meme. Yes, you 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 are right there. (laughs) All right. We get down to the final five immunity challenge, and this is the 
Survivor producers, one of their favorites, because they get to be lazy, where they just pull out the old challenges from earlier in the season. We're just going to, what's it called? I forget. Uh, learn from your past mistakes. So there's five rounds in this one. Second and top, chances? Second chances, something like that. Yeah, yeah this is one. Yeah, so uh, the first round is they're going to throw ninja stars again, the famous Chinese ninja stars. And then the second one is they will eat balut again, which is always fun. Well, I mean, three of them will eat balut. One will sort of just <laughs> put it in her mouth, let it roll out, and then just give up. <laughs> oh, yeah. man, Jeff, I really, w- I really wish I could. Uh, 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 come on, Courtney, come on. <laughs> come on, let's just do this. Come on, you got it. Do we have to do this if she's quitting? Yes. <laughs> All right, round three will be bouncing the ball on the drum and get to the end. And then round four is the uh, use the swords to release the discs from the uh, from the wood, and then you have to use it and solve a disc puzzle. And this one's funny because, as y'all remember, that was the challenge that Courtney was unable to do. She's not strong enough to cut through rope, so she's like, "Uh oh!" The minute they announce cutting through the ropes, which is kind of a funny little moment. All right, so round one, the ninja star they all throw, and uh, Todd, the only male left in the game, is eliminated in the the athletic throwing challenge, which I thought was kind of amusing. Uh, so Todd's out first. The second one is the eating the balut. This is the one that you guys were joking about earlier, where Denise just basically flat out refuses to eat the balut, and she cheers for Courtney to do it. <laughs> and then the next one, where they bounce the ball on the drum to the finish line. This is the one where Courtney can't do it. She lacks the strength to hold the drum, more than likely. And so basically, we get down to the end. It's PG versus Amanda, the two new friends that just spent the last 15 minutes bonding over Asian pears and limes. So uh, they have to they have to cut the rope and then get the discs out to solve the disc puzzle. And it's actually a very exciting challenge. It's more exciting than I remembered it being. I was watching it today going, this is actually pretty tense. And PG comes awfully close at the end, but Amanda ends up pulling it out. So PG's last stand falls with her ending falling just short. And this is going to be the beginning of Amanda's little like three challenge win streak, which again would be is another positive mark on her theoretical resume of making it to the end. That's true. You guys, you do a lot of athletics in Montana, Paul? Well, chasing after horses, mostly. <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know why you're chasing after those horses, but... Let's, I'll let you decide. I'll let you finish that story. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, PG is in trouble tonight. She's, she's not immune. Uh, there's four against her, and she goes to Amanda, and basically, Amanda's the only person who can save me tonight, and, and this is where... Todd, this is the scene where Todd criticizes Amanda. He goes, you cook too much rice. And Amanda tells us, you know, Todd's getting real bitchy. Like, and he complains. And he just had this huge feast on the Great Wall of China. I don't know why he's bitching about me for eating food. So there's a lot of edit turning against Todd here, like you guys said. And uh, this is where PG, Amanda, and Denise debate if they're going to take out Todd tonight. And I mean, mean, it's always, I feel like, this season in particular is very prevalent and very outright. And I think Jeff even gives it, uh, talks about it in one of his, you know, final pieces of advice after a tribal council, maybe after the last one actually about like, okay, now you need to think about who, you know, who deserves to go to the end versus who I should beat in the end. And there's really going to be a lot of talk, as I said before, about like, well, Todd has made a lot of enemies on the jury and you have to figure out whether that's going to be, enough to probably to give you a million dollars over him or whether it will you know end up biting you in the ass when it turns out oh he actually is a really good kiss ass and will make up you know make up with a lot of people on that jury so it's interesting that like as you said before even though some people now look at Todd and say wow he played such a dominant game 
there's a hell of a lot of talk about getting rid of him, about getting rid of the guy in charge, just because he's he's pretty dangerous in spite of having so many enemies on the jury. And it's just my opinion. I have no way to prove this one way or another, but I don't think that's just talk, and I don't think the editors just put that in to make it murky. I think the, there were times when Todd was very close to being voted out here. And apparently no one else does. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you. Okay. I mean, I'll, All right, I'll, good. I'll, I'll see that. I, I, was, I, was, I was in silent agreement. I, I think that you know, that's always tough. And, and it's, it's a tough scenario that, that people ask us questions uh, via the Survivor Historians. And just uh, the podcasting community in general always talk about it. It's a thing where they like to rank winners or rank people's games. And, and it's a thing that sort of gets talked about ad nauseum. And I just, it's not that I find it insulting or anything like that. That's not really the, the right context. But it's hard because everything is unique. You know, you, you play the game to win. And sometimes you have to do more, and sometimes you don't have to do as much. And sometimes, you know, th- there are so many different ways to win this game, and there are so many different ways to get to the end. And, you know, we, we tend to sort of try to rank everyone on a very objective or seemingly objective sort of scale that universally fits everyone. And it's, it's one of those where it just can't be done. And it, it's sort of an exercise that we like to do which is fine, but it's also sort of futile at the same time. And, you know, a lot of people point towards like Kim or other people that, you know, it seems like no one ever really discussed voting Kim out very much, you know, and, and likewise Boston Rob in uh, uh, Redemption Island and things like that. Whereas with Todd was on the knife's edge a couple times here in, in China. Now, he got votes and he was also sort of the other one. Like if it didn't go one way, it was going to go the other way and it was going to come down on Todd. And some people may use that as strikes against Todd uh, for certain things. And I, I, I don't know if you can or you cannot. But I, I do agree with you, Mario, in the sense that, you know, when people look back at the season, they say, well, Todd just dominated this thing pillar to post. And it's like, yeah, kind of. But he also almost got eliminated a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting that <laughs> I don't want to give give Paul a wet dream here. It'd be interesting <laughs> to have Amanda, Amanda on as an interview because I would like to get her thoughts on this, how close she came to voting Todd out during that season. I bet, I bet it was awfully close. She had to know that he was some one of the few people that could beat her in a jury vote. All right, Paul, send out the Meadowlark call. Let her know. All right, I'll mute my mic and get the call going here. See what I see what I get uh, back from her in response. Yeah, don't do the horse call because we don't want the sister. We want Amanda. <laughs> I'll make sure to do the right animal call there. But you know what's crazy is that uh, Amanda and PG were roommates together after the season for a little bit, so they like were actually pretty close by the end of this. Wow, which again is weird considering the way PG leaves things with Amanda during right. the final tribal council. <laughs> All right, so Amanda yeah, is- just must have like killed it in the roommate interview, just like really good on the spot, like giving <laughs> reasons why she'd be a great roommate. Good. She also had good references. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah. Oh, I so see we- here in your special skills, you have bird calls down. That's. <laughs> I mean, I, I could totally see why that would come in handy. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we lose PG after she goes on a rant at Tribal Council that nobody here appreciates the game or the experience. Yeah, and with I, love that, that, I love that. I love that she calls herself a positive person, and even like just, Courtney and James just like cannot hold their laughter. And considering how pissy PG has been for the past like, like week and a cause, half, because I I am one of those positive people. <laughs> Wait, yes. Which which is which is funny because she probably is right, mm-hmm. but in this situation, she's just been kind of dumped on for like you know three <laughs> for a long time here, and so. I feel like that would sap the positivity out of anyone. So it's like she's probably just thinking, you know, 
generally I'm a positive person. That's that's what she's thinking, and it's like she's not looking at you know just the absolute horror that she's sort of gone through the last few days, and the fact that she probably is 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 a bit snippy at this point because well you're tired, exhausted, and nobody likes you, nobody's including you, and nobody's telling you anything. But at least this is the worst my survivor experience will ever be. I'll never have to deal with Abby Maria. All right, are we yeah, eulogizing so, PG now? Yeah, we yeah, are. I, guess we, I mean, she should. I mean, I guess she got the PGesus moniker during the season, and I guess, like Mario alluded to before, I, I suppose it was for good reason in that she's sort of, especially after Frosty goes and she's really under the gun, she really does kind of get an underdog edit. She wins those couple of challenges of the partnership of her and Eric. She is by far the most strategic. We did talk in part one about how she does not get put in a good light in episode five specifically, or even in the first few episodes when she's arguing with Dave and she's trying to take charge and nobody's listening to her. So she has one of the more interesting roads, but it ends on such like an uplifting, positive person note, as much as the other people in the game might not believe it, that, you know, when she's going to come around and be in contention for survivor second chances, even though it, her season had happened, you know, eight years ago at that point. It still makes sense. She is still one of the bigger characters of China because of her role specifically in the end game. Yeah, she's one of those, I can't say maybe just as a standalone character, she's necessarily that interesting, but her storyline makes her interesting. I think, okay, when Survivor Second Chances floated out and we saw the list of people that were going to be back. I think that I lobbied for PG to be brought back the most. I think I've, I'm on record on other podcasts basically saying to me, PG should be on this list at the same time. I feel like they should have probably brought PG back before survivor second chances. There's this weird bit here. And obviously we're just going to go the next season is survivor Micronesia, which is the second time they're going to bring returnees back. We've only had survivor all-stars in season eight. And the next full all-star season is going to be season 20. And we get this, this other season. And, and it, it's sort of after Heroes versus Villains where they start, you know, we got a couple seasons. But then we start getting these, you know, where they bring a couple people back. And, and the returnee floodgates sort of really open up after Survivor Heroes, Heroes versus Villains. As such, a lot of characters that would probably make decent lists in some of these middle seasons sort of get fallen by the wayside. And, and other things happen too. And it's, I, I feel like PG just sort of got shoved to the side because it's not even like her season isn't represented. It's very well represented. James and Amanda and Courtney all come back uh, y- y- with this season. So, so Survivor China is represented, but it's like PG sort of fell by the wayside. That being said, I always thought that PG should have, if, if you're returning people, and you know I don't love returnees, but if you're returning people, I always felt like she was a good one to bring back. And they just never did. Yeah, it was just timing, like you said. Yeah, it's too bad. The PG, she's one I wasn't really the biggest fan of at the time, but I didn't really dislike her. She was always kind of just there for me. But then I I found a couple years later that she she was one of my readers on the Funny 115. So I actually wrote to her, and I got a chance to meet her a couple months ago. And she's really nice in real life, and she was fun to talk to. So it was. I, I'm a fan of hers now, but I, I remember at the time not really thinking... I didn't really get why she was so popular among the audience, but I do get it now. I I watched the season and I appreciate her in retrospect. Yeah, and we, and we can't understate the value of having such a cultural season as China to have someone of Chinese descent in the cast as well. Even though she did not, she got to go to the Shaolin Temple, but she didn't get to go to the Great Wall. I feel like 
she was often like the person that they got to turn to for key confessionals about, you know, the cultural significance of these rewards with her personal history. So that was nice. Yep. All right. And with that, we are going to go into the finale. Yay. Okay, we go to the finale. Moving, quick, rapid fire. We're just going (laughs) to fly through this finale. Just like rapid speed. Hold on here. Yeah, this was was a slow one. (laughs) Although we do start at the beginning where they, they... start back and basically Jeff repeats his little intro from the very first episode where we're in ultra modern Shanghai and we were transported back in time. So going back with this back in time motif. And as that I, I came on, you... I just like, I could just, rep- I could just, I like said the whole thing with Jeff as soon as it came on because like we've said it so many times. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys noticed, but they redid the credits again. I know that they've been updating oh. it with every episode, but now yes. they've done the final four and now every one of the final four has a subtitle with yes. most of them have their jobs on it, except for Amanda, who is not the hiking guide. She's the beauty queen. Oh, yes. I, didn't, I didn't realize that. I wasn't watching the credits. It's really stupid. It's really dumb. <laughs> How dare you criticize Amanda, Paul? I'm not. I am criticizing the uh, editors here for putting this like one-note title on Amanda as the beauty queen, when clearly she is much more. She right. is half an ass that's blurred. She is a bird caller. <laughs> She is a horse whisperer. Oh, no, that's her, her sister. But you get the point. All right. So you're basically saying Amanda's more than just one label. Exactly. Okay. That's good She's then. a deep character. Okay. Many layers. <laughs> Six feet deep. We're like it. All right. So, uh, so uh, yeah, we, we start with the final four. And I forget if it's Amanda or Courtney who points out, you know, this is amazing that we're the final four because we were at the bottom of the totem pole the entire time. We weren't the Jean Roberts. We weren't the Aarons. We weren't the one making decisions. So it's pretty fitting that we were the final four, which is pretty cool. They are kind of the outcasts. I'd like to call it a final five because I would like to give an, uh, a special shout out to the fire pit because it's probably still there. Fire pit's still there. It is still with us. But that's, everyone the, expected that's the true that, winner Jay. of the season. <laughs> yeah. It should have won the fan favorite award. <laughs> All right, so we go to the final four. We jump right into the reward challenge, which is uh, where Jeff says, you're going to tackle our version of the Great Wall of China, which I just, I love the little ominous our version. Yeah, this is basically like, this is basically a survivor version of, hey, go be a Chinese laborer. Because they have to like, <laughs> hey, build a bridge, Use a yoke to carry back puzzle blocks and then build a wall. <laughs> Here, landscape this guy's yard. They're, they're learning karate like Mr. Miyagi's teaching them now. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, so they have to go re- you know, go over, rebuild a bridge, get these little blocks, and then come back and rebuild their own little Great Wall of China. And, uh, and uh, the reward for this one is, Jeff says, comfort and advantage. And the comfort is pizza, beer, soda, and brownies, the food you've been craving. And then he says, the second part is advantage. The advantage is what I just told you. You get calories from that. It's, it's really awkwardly worded. And there's a surprise, a surprise in the form of the food that was promised to you in the reward. <laughs> Yeah. Again, we can't really do justice uh, to this until you see watch it. It's just really awkward the way he words the reward, like it's two parts. But the second part is just what the first part was. Do you think he just was like, the surprise is the toppings on the pizza. It's pepperoni. Damn it! (laughs) (laughs) It's why I need cue cards. It's a rare Jeff Probst misfire that they kept in the show, and I appreciate it. 
All right, so yeah, they're doing the challenge. They're running back and forth, and I'm just laughing because it's still Amanda's blurred ass in every other shot—a close-up of her ass from behind, which just it, it kind of takes away from the drama and the intensity of the challenge. <laughs> and so Amanda wins the reward. She rebuilds the hour version of the Great Wall of China, and she goes into her little catchphrase. And uh, I'm hopefully, hopefully, Paul won't get mad when I joke about this, but Amanda has a habit of winning the reward and then immediately being all embarrassed and surprised. Oh my God, I, you guys, I did it. I did it. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah, so she's, she's the, she's the Taylor Swift of survivor basically. <laughs> she is. Paul knows yeah, who it, Taylor Swift is, right? Yeah. She's uh, you know, she's, she's taking Montana by storm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, there was someone that I went to, uh, someone that I went to high school with actually, that it was one of those, annoying people were she she ended up being valedictorian of of our class and it was always tough because I, I was always in the same honors and ap classes with her and you know before each test she would be like oh my god i'm gonna fail and you're like no you're not gonna fail you're probably gonna get like a really good a on this test because you're you and you always do no 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 this time i'm gonna fail i didn't study right it's just too hard i'm gonna fail and then you know they take the test and then you get the test back and you're like well what'd you get well i, I somehow got an a guys again Again, it's like, well, of course you did. So, so there you go. Take that, Amanda. Well, it's a good thing Amanda wasn't saying uh, that she was going to win the whole time because uh, that would have looked bad, too. <laughs> Paul always looks at it as the glass is half full. That's right. It's the Montana in me. It's the, uh, it's the metal arc in me, I guess you could say. <laughs> the glass of Viva Milk is always half full. That's right, glass baby. Of, the glass of chocolate cake. <laughs> Yeah, we're still working on the solid form of chocolate cake in Montana. All right, so Amanda wins the reward, and uh, Jeff gives her a particularly brutal choice here. He says, all right, you can get all this pizza, all this beer, soda, and brownies, or you can share it with one person, or you can share it with two people. So you decide how many people you want to fuck over, basically. It's all up to you. And she's like, damn it, PG's not here. The easy choice is leave her out. (laughs) You know. Jeff, can I take three people and just leave out PG? <laughs> yeah, so this is one of those no-win challenges, and I'm, I'm trying to think of another challenge where they give the winner this much power to decide how many people eat. Have you? Can you think of another challenge off the top of your head? This would be a Paul question, I guess. Where it's like I mean, really the, up in the air. I mean, the closest you could think of that I think of immediately is, is Cindy's little twist in the car challenge, right? Of like, oh, yeah. you can have the car, or everyone else can have the car. Yeah. Okay, that's true. I guess it's yeah. not the same thing, but I'm thinking back to those challenges where like they all got to eat, but then they picked up they they got to pick like who gets what food. Yeah, yeah Rupert gets a... the steak. <laughs> Which, yeah, okay. Again, I, they need to bring those back because I still want people to get like those middle of the road like the ham sandwich. You know, what? it's fine. <laughs> I'm I'm enjoying this. <laughs> this this is what I wanted. I like a cold potato. <laughs> All right, so yeah, Amanda has to choose here. Does she want to give everyone the food? Does she just want to screw over Denise? How how obvious are they going to be that Denise isn't really part of the the cool kids? And Amanda says, "Well, I'll just take one. I'll just feed Todd, which is an odd choice. <laughs> like that, she pisses off Courtney, but yeah, it's it. So Amanda's kind of in a no win situation. She takes Todd. She pisses off Denise and Courtney, and uh, well, that's it. And Amanda's rationale was, well. I haven't really trusted Todd lately. I want to get a chance to hang out with him and just talk to him about strategy. So that's her rationale. Amanda, I can totally understand that. However, you should not tell Todd this at the same time. Yeah, that that was an odd choice. Paul, what do you think of Amanda's uh, 
strategic choice here? Flawless. Flawless. <laughs> you could have stopped at the first syllable. <laughs> All right. So yeah. So yeah. So Amanda takes Todd on the reward. The first thing she says is basically, you know, Todd, I took you here because I don't trust you. <laughs> but you know, Flawless. I have to. You give Amanda credit. By the end of that conversation, they've kind of made up again. They're kind of buddies again. So. You know, it's, it's an or, unorthodox, but it works. What she was trying to do, she pulled it off, it seems like. And Todd reiterates something that we'll hear a lot of in this episode. I don't mind if I lose to you. I think you're going to beat me, but I cannot handle losing to Denise or Courtney. And this is something that's going to come up later, too. So we go back to camp, and now Denise is laying it on thick for the fan favorite vote, trying to get it, where she's like, you know, I've, I've never been popular. I've always been last picked my whole life. Uh, why isn't Mike doing this impression? He does a better Boston accent than Mario you does. No, I, I always got picked last for hockey, and I, I I just hope you could bring me. I'll feel left out again if I didn't make the final three. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, Denise, like P, PG actually tried to play the sympathy card a couple other times, and Denise has kind of taken over that position because she knows she's pretty fucked unless she wins immunity. Uh, but Todd, again, isn't making things any easier for himself because once they get back, he goes into super paranoia mode and it's apparent that he's like going to everyone, telling everyone different things and now people are starting to compare notes and Todd is very afraid of girl power, that that will suddenly you know, embine the, the spirits of these women, that they'll suddenly all align against him and take him out. Yeah. And again, yeah, I mean, Todd's he's walking the tightrope here. He knows he's in danger. It's, it very easily could go against him if he's not careful. So this is where we get to the final four, and again, always one of my favorite parts of a season, the torch walk or the rites of passage. You mean Sorry, fallen I, comrades, right? No. Mute <laughs> yourself and go on time out, you dick. All right, muting. Okay. Yes, not fallen comrades. Please don't call it fallen comrades. Fallen comrades, as always is a trivia challenge where they answer questions about each other. So yeah, the rites of passage. And this is the one where they go on this long hike and they go to the statue of Guan Yin, I believe her name was. And she's the goddess of compassion and mercy. Which is great. Again, you know, symbolizing Chinese culture. But what do you do at each torch? You light a bunch of fireworks (laughs) right next to it. Yes. (laughs) I did love that. I completely forgot about the firecrackers at each torch. I really wish that uh, Janice would have just performed a little, um, you know, some moves at each one. <laughs> this is an ode to chicken. All right, this one's for Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we go to each torch. We do something Chinese. We light firecrackers. We make a bootleg iPod. I don't know what we do. And then, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so... I remember, I remember watching the season at the time, and they're saying, oh, well, this is like the final immunity challenge. And I'm like, oh, so I guess the final three is just a regular thing now. Because like, you have to realize in historical context, this is the third season in a row with the final three. And it was one of those things, oh, wow, cool, in Cook Islands. And then and Fiji's like, oh, okay, I guess they did that again. And then this the third time, I remember thinking, uh, this is just a thing now? Like, I was surprised. I didn't realize that we were making this a thing. But by China, I guess now it is. Well, especially since this is also a 16-person season, the last 16-person season we saw was Exile Island, where, oh, it's a final two, seven-person jury. Here we're going to have a final three, seven-person jury, which is still a little weird. I think the only other time we're going to have this is Gabon, 
And I think it's still they're still they're still kind of trying to work out the formula. But this is the first time we have arguably like an old school setup for Survivor, but still end up with a final three. Yeah, it's just weird to have like the finalists be like half the size of the jury. Like it's just weird. Yeah. Nope, I agree. Yeah, this is one I I remember thinking the final three didn't make this season better. I remember yeah, when Cook Islands happened, the final three was awesome because you got Ozzy versus Yule, which would never have happened in a million years. And then with Fiji. I don't remember thinking final two or, or three was really that big a deal one way or another. It just, I mean, it was, it was kind of a forgotten season at the time. But I remember in this one thinking, there's no reason. For, I, like, I want to see Todd and Amanda square off at the end. That's what you're kind of hoping for. But yeah, it's, again, there's lots of arguments to be made for the final two or the final three. And all of the final three ones are wrong. But, well, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely, yes. Um, but I will say that this is the first, or th- this is one of the arguments like pro final three people can give in the mm. sense that all three people actually did get a vote in this, <laughs> you know. in this final tribal council. So we do need to note that because more often than not, one person gets zero votes in final threes, which final two people are like, well, we might as well have just had a final two, which I get dynamics could be changed because of that final three vote. But isn't that so interesting? Why it do you is. want to get rid of that? So you get rid of that. No, no, no. We, we want to have more people in the finals and have a final three in which one person probably gets zero votes. So with China, at least they all got a vote. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. I will give you. It's one of, the, one of the things you can point out about China, why I think China is an outstanding season that, you know, Courtney slips in there and, and almost, I mean, comes close to winning the season. So it's, it's yeah. got an interesting ending. I mean, what I will say, and maybe this just speaks towards how strong of a cast this is, is that I feel like this is the most well-edited final three we've ever had. I think there are some like other pretty good final threes. Philippines is one that really sticks off the top of my head where like, it isn't necessarily that Amanda, Courtney, and Todd all have winner edits, but at least they all are edited in some way where they pop on the season. Especially, you know, Amanda will pop in these last four episodes. Courtney has been a big presence throughout. Todd has been a big presence throughout that like, I actually really enjoy seeing the three of them at the final tribal council. This is one of those times when you watch the final three and I said, I don't really mind this just because it's a group of people that have all had a significant impact on the season edit wise. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it does in other seasons or even like last season with Cassandra where, or Becky in the previous season where there's clearly two people that are the bigger characters and one is just sort of there strung along. Yeah. And again, there's not an obvious winner here. That's, Again, in retrospect, people say Todd is obvious, but he's really not that obvious here. And I will even, I hate to say it again in front of Paul, but yes, I, I enjoyed seeing Amanda in the finale because she was a big character and she added a lot to the season. She's luring you in with those eyes, Mario. <laughs> well, let's, let's get to this final immunity challenge because, you know, we've, we've gone through... Even though we've gone to the final three, we've run the gamut of some endurance challenges. Even in Cook Islands, they were standing on the perch that eventually became the size of an index card. Fiji, they were hanging on to Jeff's torture rack. Here we start to see things pivot a tiny bit when this final immunity challenge involves stacking dishes at the end of a long, (laughs) wobbly balancing arm. Now, do you think someone misinterpreted the instructions when Jeff said, use something with China in it as the final challenge, and they thought he meant the dishes? They're like, where's PG? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't know. But <clears throat> I, we did, we did, uh, to speak of PG, I got to say one more thing. It's really kind of nice and touching that the very last torch at the torch walk is PG's torch is right at the base of the statue of Guan Yin. So it's like, well, you know, 
PG didn't get to experience any of the actual Chinese culture, but we'll just give her one more dig here by putting her, tor- her torch right here at the base of the statue she would have liked. This is where you could have been, PG. Yeah. Had you tried a little harder, PG, this is what you, you could were, have been. You had. were one step from building our own version of the Great Wall of China. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this is the dish stacking challenge. Is, it, is this the first time they did the dish stacking on the wobbly arm? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Okay, yes. I'm, I'm fuzzy around here. Yeah. So, yeah, the this, big, long, wobbly arm, and they stack dishes. Yeah, this, so this is the first time that, as I talked about before, that they're going to start to vary away from the final three slash final two challenge or final four challenge being like endurance or at least willpower some physical elements to it to just sort of being more balance and hand-eye coordination we'll especially see it like this next season's going to be the uh the cylinders and the balls the next one's going to be building the house of cards so we're going to start to see you know john kierhofer is going to go less and less from the idea that we saw in the first season finale of, you know, hang on to a pole as long as you can. Well, uh, true, but you could argue that this is actually a willpower challenge, too. I mean, I don't know if this takes any more skill than standing there and holding your hand on a beam. They just have to want to balance that and hold it as long as they can. It's just willpower. It's, I'd argue this actually still is a willpower challenge. I mean, it is, but I see what Mike is saying, that it becomes now there's way more, like, where it comes down to being like, I don't know if it's like precision or like that. It's like about concentration and not so much just about wanting to it, but like keeping focus the whole time. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. So yeah, so they hold the dishes out on the wobbly arm. And again, this is a pretty, it's a pretty um, intense challenge when you watch it. I always love these challenges where it just, it's, it kind of comes down to timing. See how, you know, don't know how long it's going to last just until people give up. But yeah, so Todd's out first. And then Courtney's out next. And then we get to the point where it's Amanda versus Denise. And Denise starts trying to cut a deal because she's terrified. She knows she's dead meat at the final four. And she starts cutting a deal. Hey, Amanda, how about we both drop out and both vote for Todd tonight? And Amanda's like, no, girlfriend, I can't let you quit. (laughs) It's kind of interesting. That's her version of these are called squats. (laughs) Yes. They don't have squats in Montana. So this this is how far we've gotten. So yeah, so Amanda refuses to cut the deal, and then Denise finally loses. Although, we should point out again that Amanda has a good strategic decision along the way to start putting her bowls upside down so they fit into each other better, which is actually a pretty brilliant idea, and I'm surprised no one else ever thinks of it. So I will give props to Amanda for outwitting the challenge here. Well, as as you said, Mario, and as, as we've been going along here, and I think that, that Mike has really sort of hit home this podcast, is that this is just the next sort of driving bit in this sort of mini Amanda arc that we've gotten these last uh, couple of episodes. And the arc is sort of, it's not inclusive to just her, her uh, challenge wins, but I think that it's something to be noted here is that Amanda completely owns the challenges at the end of the season, this one included. Yeah, she does. Though. She totally does. She's, she really saves that alliance. And again, I think Todd, Todd really owes her a lot. <laughs> she kind of saves his bacon here a couple times. Well, especially since now that she's safe, even though now we're going from a final four to three instead of a three to two, it's not one person with the immunity decides who they're taking to the end. We do sort of get a version of that here in that Amanda having immunity could theoretically choose to go to go to the end with Denise or at least try to by forcing a tie against Todd and Courtney. And that's really going to be the big will they or won't they strategy session that's going to happen here after the immunity challenge, where essentially Denise is going to go to Amanda and, and say, you know, 
help a sister out, you know, try to force a tie. And Amanda's going to say, yeah, uh, sure, but then she'll say no at tribal council eventually. <laughs> All right, yeah, so this is really Denise's last stand, and this is something I wanted to talk about for sure because I, I love the character of Denise in China. I really think she's a powerful character. I think it's very emotional when she gets voted out, and I know we'll talk about what happens after the show, which kind of cancels a lot of that out, but I tend to ignore stuff off the show. Just from a pure TV perspective, I love Denise in this season, and it's to me, it's very powerful. I don't know if it would be to you guys, um, but yeah, where Denise starts working this hard, saying, you know, basically pulls Amanda aside, and and this is a speech that really gets me, and again, I'm the only one, I believe, here who has kids, unless someone has kids I'm not aware of, but it's like, where Denise says, you know, like, I'm a mom, I'm older, like, this is all I'm going to have in life, Amanda. Like, I'm, this is my future. I'm going to be a lunch lady. Like, this is the only time I will ever have a chance to, like, contribute to my family, to get out of this poverty. And you guys are all young. You're going to be successful. Todd, you got your, he's going to have his career in L.A. Amanda, you got your fashion line. Yeah. But I think that's a good speech. And I, it's, I think you look at that speech differently depending on where you are in life, what your age is, what your situation is. But that one really hits home with me that, Denise is not playing the game there. She's really basically saying, give me a chance to have dignity in my life. And it's I, I know a lot of people make fun of Denise, so I know this is a tough sell to the Survivor crowd. But that speech really hits me when I hear it. And I, I feel bad because she really lays it all on the line there. And she's like, this is all I have, Amanda. I make $7 an hour. That's all I'm ever going to make. Curious what you guys have to say about that. Uh, I guess it was an asshole because really, uh, I'm not that moved by it because it's Denise, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, it, I feel like she kind of has to go with whatever she can. I mean, she's facing again against an ironclad final three alliance. She's no, she's on the outs, not only from a strategic perspective, but also from an age perspective. She's by far the oldest. And she also knows that like people are coming after her because, you know, she might be able to be kind of a sob story. And so, I, this this is the, probably the only argument that she can provide. I don't know if she makes it any more legitimate by saying Amanda's going to go have a fashion line, unless <laughs> that fashion line involves people showing their bare ass in public. I don't know how successful that's going to be. But, I mean, she's she's going for broke here. And, I mean, t- to her credit, Amanda does agree to it, but I don't know if that's to her credit or to Amanda's discredit. Yeah, well, Amanda just wants to say whatever will make Denise go away at a certain point. But, I don't know, it's... This is one I see a lot of people make fun of, and I see a lot of people make fun of Monica later down the road in, uh, what season is that? <laughs> uh, Blood versus Water. Blood versus Water, yeah, the same situation where I feel for Monica as well, just because, I mean, I have kids, I'm married to a, a woman, my wife stays at home with the kids, she never really, you never get any attention as a stay-at-home mom, so so I, I totally get that. So it's I understand a lot of people make fun of these speeches, but I happen to, they hit very hard with me, I get them when, she, when they lay out these speeches like this. No, it's good. Uh, I and and I think as the other guys pointed out, I, Denise is is this is this is it's it's from the heart. It sounds very much like it's from the heart, but at the same time, it's it's the play that she has and that's the play that she's making. And so I, I think that uh, something that's very hard in Survivor, and I think that is something that you may or may not be able to differentiate is 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 your real life. And, and, and the circumstances that go with it, a factor or not within the gameplay. And I think yeah. that, you know, here Denise is like, this is, this is, this is all I'm going to have. And so I feel like you need to take that into account. And 
you know, I think people make fun of it because, you know, people just, and especially these days with Modern Survivor, it's, it's not about, you know, the experience or, or anything like that. It's just literally the game and the gameplay and all of the stuff that goes in there. And, and so they sort of look at this and go, yeah, well, you're not on the numbers or you're not valuable or, you know, all these sorts of things. And, and, and I get that. And, and that, all of that is there. And, and I agree with that in a lot of extents, extents. But by the same token, I feel like just as some people are like, I don't want to vote that person a million dollars because they're rich in real life, you sort of have to look at the opposite and say, do we elevate this person because they're not rich in real life? And I yep. think that both sides are sort of equally unfair to bring in or out. And so, it, it, But the thing about Survivor is, the beauty of Survivor is that there is no criteria for this. So yeah. a, a, a people in one season may put that into account and say, this person doesn't have a lot in their life. I'm going to save them and, and, and bring them further. Or this person um, you know, has a lot of money. I'm going to vote them out. Whereas in another season... And someone will say, hey, I'm going to vote this person to keep in the game. I don't care if they're super rich or, you know, I don't care if this person makes minimum wage and is, you know, uh, having trouble holding some things down. I'm still going to vote them out because they're of no use to me in this game. And I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong, but the beauty of the game is that it can go either way. Yeah, the thing I was going to say to follow up on that is that a lot of people that just talk about Survivor on the Internet just tend to talk about it in a vacuum, like you said, where it's just a game. But I don't think that's realistic because I, I think the real world does get factored into stuff a lot more than people realize and going all the way back to, you know, Clay doesn't need the money. I'm going to vote him out or, or they don't need the money or, uh, even Lil at the end of Pearl Islands, I don't want to give Johnny Fairplay a million dollars because he's going to go put it in cocaine up his nose and kill himself. I want to save this kid's life. So it's one of those things again, yet, like you said, it's not really right or wrong, but I think it happens more than people on the internet tend to realize. I think it's the real life situation generally is a part of the game. And that's, almost, that's com- good. I was going to say, I would almost compare it to what Rafe told you, Mario, about what happened at the final four of Guatemala, where, again, on paper, you would look at this final four and you'd say, like, well, yeah, I guess Denise could get a sympathy vote, but Todd's the much bigger strategic threat, or Amanda won more challenges. But, again, we're looking at it from an outside perspective. Inside the game, you have to assume that there was a big thought going around of, like, Lydia oh, crap, Denise has a huge sympathy edit with this jury. She's going to garner a lot of votes in the end and rob us of our money. And so, again, even though from the outside we might say, like, well, it's stupid to vote her out because, you know, she's clearly an outsider. She's not going to get any votes. We're not putting ourselves in the mindset of those people in the game who are experiencing these people every day and have run the numbers so many times and are thinking about it from a perspective of this jury might vote for Denise because she's a mom and because she needs the money. Yeah, you never know. You know, and, and I, I think that's why a lot of times, and especially in, in more modern seasons, people appreciate these casts that are returning players and things like that. Because returning players, you know, yeah. Survivor All-Stars, I think, was, was, was a unique returning season because it was the first one. And I think that, you know, returning people are always trying to preserve their legacy or further their legacy or better or improve their legacy within Survivor. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that that's not a thing, but especially in this more gamery kind of era of Survivor, um, people are really just, you know, when you bring returnees back, they're, they want to game, and they want to game hard. And I think that people like that, because people who game hard and, 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 and games of Survivor that play out very gamey tend to be popular seasons nowadays, because you can do that. Like, Mike, you can, you can, you can have blogs and listen to podcasts and do all of the social media thing where you can sort of take a lot of these external factors or these factors that we as a Survivor audience can't possibly fathom 
in, into the game. And we can just think about the numbers and the and the and the and the advantages and the and the and the and the tricks and just go from there. And if people are like, I'm just working off these numbers and tricks and things, then we can quantify that. But what we can't quantify is the fact that you're put into this fishbowl of a of a of a of an environment where you're on an island, you're never separated from these people. You are starving, you are cold, you are you, you are put in in these extreme ringers and all you have is to talk to these people and learn about these people and real life is going to probably seep in and you're going to have these external factors that isn't just number advantage uh you know pawn to to rook 8 and you know all these sort of chess moves that that happen and we as an audience cannot quantify that and and sometimes we see it just as now on China you know with Denise making this plea we see sometimes glimpses into this but it's like that's the aspect that people who play the game of Survivor know, and we who watch the show can only guess. And that's a disconnect between the actual game and the product that we see, which is why a lot of times I, I it, people call me a Survivor expert. That's fine. I'm not because I, I don't know how the game goes. But I am an expert on what I see on the television and can interpret there from all of what I've seen and from cri- thinking critically about it. But this this environment this this environment that survivor is in is 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 unique to that and each game is unique in and of itself it's 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 sort of mind-boggling to think about that being said though the survivor fans that you were just talking about that look at things in a vacuum courtney is kind of speaking on behalf of them when she says (laughs) Denise doesn't deserve the money because she just sucks at life (laughs) (laughs) that is without question the harshest thing i've ever heard on survivor and this this goes past boston robin all-stars bagging on everybody i mean my god yeah let's for the exact quote if you guys most people should know this quote because this is like the courtney quote in a nutshell which which i should add she's been forever trying to distance herself from ever since she wants nothing to do with this quote she knows how harsh it was courtney says todd or first todd says um, i'm not happy losing to he goes i'm happy losing to amanda but i'm not happy losing to denise and courtney says are you kidding me this isn't like welfare you know yeah this is a a rough quote jeff probes is going to bring it up at the reunion show and Courtney's going to flip him off, which is just a classic Courtney moment, which you kind of have to look close to catch that she's so unhappy that Probe brings this up at the reunion. She actually flips him off on live TV, which is pretty impressive. But yeah, this is this is a uh, brutal takedown of somebody who's at her lowest right now. Wow, no one wants to touch this one, huh? Not with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so uh, <laughs> Denise sucks at live, so Courtney says she shouldn't win Survivor. <laughs> so we'll just get past that one, and we move on. I mean, to, it, speaks, uh, it speaks for itself, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> pretty much. Courtney kind of went there, so not where else, nowhere else to go with that one. <laughs> yeah. All right, it's out there. Okay, so uh, yeah, so Denise Denise keeps going to Amanda, saying, "Please, please, let's vote for Todd tonight." And Amanda, at one point, she's going to regret this later. She says. I can't guarantee I'll vote for Todd, but I won't vote for you tonight. That will that will haunt Amanda later, in, no matter how much she denies it. You see it right here in this episode where she flat out tells Denise, I'm not going to vote for you tonight. And uh, yeah, so now this is, uh, we go to the debate. Should we vote out Denise tonight? Should we vote out Todd? And at the end of the day, Amanda sticks with Courtney and Todd and they vote out Denise. We lose the beloved lunch lady at the final four. 
And this is another one who, you know, I spoke before about how Amanda really comes into her own in the final four episodes. And Denise is pretty invisible, I'd say, for the first, like, four or five until Fei Long gets that one reward where they learn to quote-unquote fish. And by that, I mean they release the birds to catch the fish for them. Uh, Denise is not really speaking a lot, and I'm not sure if that was just an edit thing or whether she wasn't providing confessionals, but... I don't know. I look towards the moment we spoke about at the beginning of this episode with the Shaolin Temple as like one of the things I love about this season is the fact that a lunch lady from Boston not only knows karate, but got to go to the Shaolin Temple in China and show it off. Like those are these cool little old school survivor cultural moments that I feel like we don't really get to experience nowadays, especially when they like yada yada over a lot of that type of stuff and focus more on the gameplay specifically. So Denise brought a lot as a character, I feel like. You know, she never really had the upper hand, strategically speaking, but I I just loved the role that she played in the game, whether she was, you know, getting commented about her ass with James or not eating balut. I, I, I think she actually ended up playing a pretty big role in the season at the end of the day. Yeah, she's kind of a stealth character. You don't realize she's a major player until the end. And again, it's clear she's probably never going to win. She has this doomed cloud over her like the last four or five episodes. But I, re- I really like Denise. Again, there aren't many people that say they they like Denise or they thought she was a good character in China. I think she brought as much to the season as just about anybody. I think she brings a different dynamic that wasn't there. She wasn't one of the young, hip, you know, popular, cool kids. She was she was always the one on the outs. She uh, had some odd scenes with James where James was hitting on her at the start, which I to this day I still don't get. But I, I happen to like Denise. So you guys, do, were you have favorable opinions on her as, as a character? I'm not again my not player, part of not a player, that, but as a character. Well, my favorite part of her is that she only played once. <laughs> well, there I'm, you kind go. Of, I'm kind of over exaggerating. Um, yeah, she. I mean, she played her role in the season. I think she was fine for the season. I had enough of Denise by the end of the season, but I can't knock her too much for the role she played within China. She held her own very, very well. Yeah, um, Denise is, is, I think you're right, Mario. I mean, at the time, I don't think that any of us thought super highly about Denise mm-hmm. uh, as the season goes. Maybe maybe you did. I mean, I, 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 there's fan bases for everybody, as, as we know. But um, uh, I, I, I personally was not thinking very much one way or the other about Denise. It was like, oh, yeah, Denise. And she was there, and then she you know, it doesn't win. But you go back and you watch this season, uh, as you guys pointed out, Denise is very prominent. Even, even even if she's not the center of attention or the center of the strategy or even the the big star of the show, because she probably isn't because there's James and there's, you know, uh, other people wa- walking around. Denise is, is there and things that surround Denise are actually very important as far as, you know, the way the game progresses. And that's an interesting character to have and to sort of reflect on. Should we take this opportunity now? I'm not sure how much we're going to talk about the reunion. So do we, do we want to talk now about the sort of fallout that happened with Denise and my, why she might not necessarily have such a positive reception after Survivor China ended? Yeah, yeah let's, let's do this. Let's, let's think, do it now. I think there's a lot of people who don't know this. Yeah, this is fun. This is a fun event. <laughs> Yeah. No, ma- no mashed potatoes and gravy involved, unfortunately. All right. No, no taters and gravy on this one. At least not at first. <laughs> All right. So, Mike, why don't you give us the history on this one? 
So Denise talks about at the reunion, Jeff sort of gives his own little plug during the reunion and says that like, you know, James and Denise have two very different stories. And as we talked about before, James gives this, if you haven't heard this really funny story before about how there were people, apparently the mother and the sister of a deceased person at a funeral that he was staffing came up to him, stayed afterwards to take pictures with him. Uh, Denise had quite the opposite story. According to her, as she says on the live show, when she came home, she found out that the job she had before she could no longer get because apparently the school administrators thought that it would be too distracting. People would recognize her and that would kind of get in the way of her work. So she had to take up a position as a janitor. And apparently, according to Jeff, because it's live TV, Mark Burnett was so incensed by this story that he decided to give Denise $50,000 right there, right then. Several days after the reunion, it was revealed that this story was not necessarily true. And from what I remember, I'm pretty sure the actual story was that Denise was actually offered a promotion when she got back to a higher paid position, which she took. She actually, I think, asked for her old position back, but she couldn't do it. So Denise was actually much better off than she thought. I'm not exactly sure why she decided to exaggerate the story. Maybe she thought that nothing would come of it. But now that she kind of has $50,000 in blood money, she admitted to the whole story kind of being a lie and decided to give the money to the Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation. Um, Yeah, just to add on to a couple little bit, I think what what had come out is because she had made this claim on, on the Sunday night reunion show. And then on Monday, the school district came out and clarified some things. And then, so she came forward on Tuesday with the school district was on the early show and uh, no Renee Seiler, but Julie Chen actually did the interview on that. Um, and kind of pressed her on what she was going to do with the money. And then a couple of days later, she decided she was going to give it to charity. And what happened was it wasn't necessarily that she was outright lying about things. What had happened was that before she'd actually had gone on the show, she had taken this promotion to work as a custodian. Like, like she was a lunch lady through casting, and but like before actually leaving, she'd actually already tran- like transitioned into being a custodian. Now, this was a promotion; it gave her more money, but she ended up not liking it as much. She said because of the hour, she had to stay later at after uh, after school. She didn't get to spend time with her kids, so she didn't like the position as much. And so, cor- according to her, she asked for this job back to work you know, in the lunchroom, which the school district said she ne- she never talked to the school district about this. This is something she just talked about with the lunch service people. And the school district said, like, there's not a position for her in the lunchroom, so we can't make a position for her that doesn't exist. So it kind of turned out to be a lot of kind of half-truths, not telling the whole thing, playing up what she didn't like, and not giving the whole story, which is why she eventually ends up giving back um, or giving that money to, to charity. Yeah. And this is something that, that we said has really affected Denise's reputation over the years. And, you know, admittedly, it was kind of a shady thing. And I I agree with Paul. I don't know exactly how much she was lying about, how much she was stretching the truth, how much she was trying to force through public pressure to get the job she wanted back. I don't know. But my argument for this is that it really makes no difference to her character in China. And, again, that's the one thing I always care about. I only care about what was in the episodes. So, yeah, it's, but it does suck. You can't really talk about Denise without mentioning that at the end of the season. There was a lot of shadiness going on there, and it was a big embarrassing black eye for both her and for the show. Was it ever determined that Denise came forward with this, or did the show try to push a narrative that that was... that was? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, because I don't... Obviously, none of us have ever participated in a 
Survivor reunion as, you know, a member on stage. I'm not sure if, you know, maybe Denise was talking about it backstage. We're just telling a story to other cast members and Jeff or a producer overheard and decided to put it on the show. I'm not entirely sure why and how it got talked about on the reunion. But that being said, it blew up as a result. And I don't think Denise really expected that, specifically the $50,000 to come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. If you were to make a list of like the top 10 biggest scandals that happened on Survivor outside the episodes, this would definitely be one of them. It was a big deal at the time. All right, so I think that's it for Denise. Let's move into the final three here. And it starts with uh, Amanda being really pissed off. (laughs) Yeah, apparently at the Tribal Council last night where Denise was claiming that Amanda promised she wouldn't vote for her tonight. And Amanda said, I never said that. Todd was making faces over on the side. And uh, Amanda interpreted it as Todd undercutting Amanda, making her look silly in front of a jury. And she's absolutely furious with Todd. She's mad that she let him get to the final three. She thinks he's backstabs everyone. And so, yeah, we start this finale. A lot of people don't remember this with Amanda absolutely furious at Todd saying he's a little sneak. And uh, I I can't believe I let him get this far. Yeah, and it's tough because, Todd, you know, and, and that's that's sort of the 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 razor thin uh, wire act that Todd sort of balances because as you know he sort of sold himself and as it was going is that Todd's like, hey, take me to the end because I'm hated and the jury won't like me, and you know clearly he and Amanda have got issues, you know, so he's not like some super saintly uh, individual over there, but by the same token, I think that you know he's also one where. He did a lot, and he was in the you know cahoots with Amanda pretty much the whole game. You know, even though they had instances of maybe I should vote the other person out, that you know now you're faced to go to the end with them, and so now you're just like, oh, God, can I win? Are are they going to be a problem? And and you know, the the thing here is is that Amanda has already shown like with the with the Denise, I won't vote you out, and with the PG thing, and just this thing with with Todd is that Amanda is not set up her jury well, and Todd is absolutely helping in this matter by you know you know Amanda's like you made me look bad in front of the jury. It's like well yeah he did. This is this is how we're doing this. So yeah, I think, I, I think Amanda real, didn't realize that Todd would get such an early jump. I don't think she realized yeah. that like the games were beginning in the previous tribal council, and that's when Amanda realizes she kind of made a huge mistake. And we'll 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 realize that maybe uh, she doesn't have the public speaking skills that she really needed to help yeah. defeat Todd here. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. All right, so we get the final three feasts. They get orange juice. They get pancake batter, which is something I don't have. They had in a lot of episodes. I don't remember pancake batter in the finale, but they they get to cook up their own little pancakes, and everyone's excited about it. And uh, yeah, so we're getting ready for the final tribal council. And Courtney tells us flat out, she's like, you know, I'm not the nicest person. I'm not the biggest strategist. She's like, but I've never backstabbed anyone. I've been completely honest with everyone about what I'm doing at every single thing this entire game. She's like. I've never been anything but my own winsome personality, <laughs> which is actually a great quote. And that's basically her argument at the final tribal council and it gets her two votes. So I mean, what can you say? <laughs> so yes, yeah, so they're all getting ready for the final tribal council. They burn the camp. Courtney takes great pleasure in burning John Robert's $500 Louis Vuitton shoes. <laughs> Very excited about that. And uh, yeah, so we head off to the tribal council to see, the Amanda versus Todd showdown with Courtney as a participant. And this is this is a really good one, in my opinion. This is yeah. this is one of the better final tribal councils, not just from the as Jay said, a high wire act that Todd pulls off, but I think there are a couple of lame jury questions, but there's again, because there's 
there's almost like an equal share of questions that are thrown out to each of these three people. It doesn't feel like one of the unfortunate side, side effects of the final three where one person will either not receive any questions or just get yelled at the entire time. This really feels like everyone kind of had equal share of the amount of time they were given in Final Tribal Council, at least the editing yeah. version. Well, there's no talk of water shoes. That's why one complaint. <laughs> it or does... how many zeros are in a million? Right. It does feel when we go into this one that it was up in the air who was going to win. I do think if you were to ask most of the jurors, they would say it wasn't a slam dunk who was going to win. I'm guessing most people probably thought Amanda was going to win at this point. I, I'm, I could, I'm just guessing that. And I think what happens is Amanda's tribal council is so bad that her votes go to Courtney. And then all of a sudden, what should have been 4-3 is all of a sudden 4-2-1. That's, mm, but who knows? I mean, But then again, I, I've always argued that I think Todd has one of the greatest final jury performances ever. And it's one of those things I don't like ranking players. I think all, all winners are great. I don't think we should be bashing winners because there's way too much negativity towards success on the internet in general. But if you were to rank final jury speeches, I don't know how you could not put Todd in the top three or so. He's, he is fantastic, some of his answers. Now, with Amanda, I mean, obviously we have a lot to talk about with this tribal council, but Amanda is so sad and so forlorn, even from the beginning, her opening speech is one giant apology. Mm-hmm. My question, and maybe this is more so appealing to Paul, our, our resident Amanda expert. I mean, do you think Amanda was purposely playing into this to become the like, I'm so sorry, please forgive me as your friend thing? Or do you think she was just so drained that this was her real self just reflecting upon the final tribal council? I always got the sense that, th- that that is what she thought people wanted to hear. And I think Amanda was a fan of Survivor, but not to like, she was never a student of the game because I think we see that a lot with her bringing up the fact that she didn't want Denise in the end because she thought the fact that just Denise saying she has kids is going to give her, is going to get her the money automatically. So I feel like she has had a very shallow understanding of the game. And to her, it was like, I have to be a good guy in the end to win. And so that's her really laying it on thick about how sorry she felt about things. Huh. That's always That was always my take. That's interesting. See, I would always think of it just the opposite, that she's just super nice and she can't really handle hurting people's feelings. Well, like, I think it's like, I think that's part of it. But like, I also think that like, that going into it, like that, that's what she thought people wanted to hear. People wanted to hear, see how sorry she was about things. And, and that she really wanted, that she thought people wanted to see how sorry she was about things. Like, I, I do think it's like legitimately playing up a part of her. Like she has a part of her that's very, competitive and cunning and does all these things and i think she thought the jury wanted to see the other side of her hmm. interesting so it's basically night and day the way that she and todd approached it yeah it's i mean it's like kelly wigglesworth versus richard hatch richard yeah. says judge me on the game i play kelly says don't judge me on the game i play judge me as a person that is a fantastic quote that's why you're here paul thank you you're welcome yeah, it's a, I don't remember Amanda and Micronesia. I mean, we're going to watch that next. I just don't remember off the top of her head. Does she approach that final tribal council the same way? It's better. It is much better. For that one, I almost lean more towards. She just, she's damn exhausted after doing two seasons of Survivor that she just like can't handle the hard-hitting questions as well. You know, it, it's, a, it's a huge step up from China, though. Okay. Yeah, and, and Micronesia is also, I feel like Micronesia, Amanda's back was up against the wall. Let's remember that she had to play an immunity idol successfully to get her way into the end. So she probably felt a little more defensive than she did here, where again, she probably saw herself. They might see me as like, Oh, Todd's number two. I need to make sure that like, I apologize on behalf of almost both of us and make sure that I'm on their good side. 
unfortunately to the majority of the jury that's going to come across as very wishy-washy and woe is me yeah and again you can't take away from how good todd is answering stuff next to her yeah i mean i i think that amanda's amanda's micronesia final trouble council performance is i i think paul's right it's better than china i mean we we i don't know if we can really dissect this i mean this is a good final travel council. If you don't watch it, if you haven't watched it, watch it. It's very good. And also, Amanda is very bad. And uh, Micronesia, she's better. But I think that Micronesia was more along the lines of, I don't think that the jury particularly liked really e- any of the three people here in China. I think they actually probably liked Courtney the most. Yeah. But <laughs> they just were like, I just can't vote for you. And, uh, you know, in Micronesia, it was like, I think that, you know, with the absence of Suri and it being a final two, of uh, Amanda Parvati, I think that they were just like, oh God, I have to vote for one of you. But at that point, I think that, you know, that that jury, it's a, it's a jury of, you know, mostly returnees, not, not all, but, you know, there's Eliza and, you know, stuff like that. And so th- it's more about the jury grandstanding and, 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 and stuff like that. And, and more minds were made up. I think you're right, Mario, in the sense that this is a, a very open tri- final tribal council to go into. And I don't think the jury is particularly in love with any of their three voting chances. And so, you know, you really need to do something here. You need to basically stamp out a win. And Amanda just basically is like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to completely fall flat on my face. Yeah. All right. Speaking of doing something, let's get to Jean Robert's question and Todd's answer. One of my yeah, let's, all-time, let's just do it. Uh, all-time yeah. well, favorite finale moments. Well, I, 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 let's also not ignore Jean Robert's first address to Courtney because Courtney sort of pulls like a half Katie here. He, she doesn't, he, she doesn't outright say like, I'm not going to answer my question because you're not going to vote for me like Katie does with Janu. But she does take a dig at him by saying, you know, I want an immunity. Did you win an immunity? Uh, what do you think is a nice little like Courtney could not get by Jean Robert without one more dig. But yeah. <laughs> JR first takes, you know, a question to Amanda about, like, hey, we promised we wouldn't write each other's names down. And, you know, again, like you said, it's night and day here. Amanda's, like, very wishy-washy saying, like, well, you know, I didn't want to vote for you, but everyone else did. So I just had to kind of go along with it. And then... I was trapped. Yeah, and then he just... So he goes to Todd. He says, Todd, I had you pegged from day one as a strategist. We had the plan to send James home, who I thought was the biggest threat in the game at the time. I don't think blindsiding me was the biggest threat. And then Todd responds with one of the most like masterpiece jury answers that have existed thus far in Survivor. I didn't write this one down word for word, but if I, I can just recall, Paul, do you know this one word for word? Uh, no, I, I don't. Okay, yeah, it's something along the lines of Todd is like, you're right, you identified me as a fantastic strategist, and I'm like, wow, this guy's really good. This guy is so smart, I need to get rid of him as soon as possible. So yes, I had to get rid of you because you were so amazing. And then John Robert takes a pause and then says, thank you guys, and just goes to sit down. And James, James MPG, James in particular, are besides themselves with shutting up him. Yeah, and yeah, James, he shut up him, which is the weirdest way to phrase that. And they even subtitle it that way on the screen. He shut up him. And they're just laughing and dying. It's this great moment because Jean Robert is literally speechless because Todd has just told you, you were so good, I had to get rid of you. Like it's it's the first time someone other than John Robert has claimed that he's a fantastic player, and Jean Robert doesn't know what to where to go because this is not the answer he was expecting. I'm sure Jean Robert had this big long speech about game theory and stuff, and and Todd just completely cut him off at the knees and kissed his ass. And it's funny because yeah, Jean Robert goes down and sits down, and even has this little bemused look on his face where he's looking at Todd, and just kind of smiling and nodding, like 
yeah, you did it. All right, you got it. And it's it's just one of these great moments, and it's it's right there. You can see Amanda's answer versus Todd's answer to the exact same damn question: why one wins and one doesn't. And that's the thing I've said before. The final tribal council isn't about you. It's about the jurors. Make them be able to sleep at night knowing they picked the right person to win. So Jean Robert comes up there. Like, it doesn't matter what Todd says about his gameplay. I'm going to talk about Jean Robert, how you're awesome, and everyone needs to know that you were the best player there, and you rock, dude. And, like, yeah. that, is, that is how you play a jury. It's about the jury. It's not about you. And that's, it is such a fantastic way. And I don't think Chris Doherty could have played that any better. I think that may be the all-time single best jury answer I've seen on Survivor. It's definitely up there with Julie, I brought your hat. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And then, although I should point out that PG comes right after Jean Robert, and Todd's answer to her is almost as good as the one he gives to Jean Robert. And it's like you—you you, you actually wrote down the Jean Robert thing in your funny one fifteen. Oh, the, excellent! Todd's, Todd's answer. He says, "So Jean Robert asks the questions, and then Todd says you started to strategically place ideas in people's heads, which is what I wanted my job to be. And when you approached me about blindsiding, and when you had approached me about blindsiding James, I was like, oh no, he's catching up. So then, who becomes the biggest threat to me? You. So then, what do I have to do? Turn it around on you, who is an extremely great strategic player in your daily life. I had to get rid of my biggest strategic threat." Who was you? <laughs> That's so good. I love it. It's such obvious ass kissing where it doesn't even sound like ass kissing. It sounds like that's exactly what John Robert thinks. You're just telling him what he already knows. It only would have been better if he said, I brought your shoes. <laughs> yeah, he pulled them out of the fire. Here they are, your $500 Louis Vuittons. <laughs> and I also brought you some ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You couldn't get the million dollars, so yeah. that'll just be a consolation prize. Here, you can have Amanda's half an ass. <laughs> But again, yeah, to go to the PG one, the P, his answer to PG is almost as good. And I didn't write down this one word for word either, but PG kind of accused him of being a floater. And Todd says, no, I came in here with a plan. Here was my army. I need this person. I need this person. I need these numbers. I had my army. We got, we did this. We did this. I won the game. He goes, I got here with my army. It was a glorious battle. The art of war. I mean, it's, it's, he ties it right into the theme of the season. It's so fantastic. And again, it's right after the Jean Robert answer, and a lot of people don't remember that one. And that one's fantastic, too. And then again, compare that to what PG does right after hearing Todd's answer, which is yeah. going to Amanda as, and said, basically saying, Amanda, you look pathetic. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> Stop looking at me with those doe eyes. <laughs> oh, it's just amazing. It's again, it's I'm not one who just types on strategy or winners and stuff, but Todd, watching Todd in this final tribal council is a thing of joy. I love it. I do want to bring up Frosty as well, just because, again, Frosty was a little bit of unimpressionable over the course of the season, especially compared to the other characters. But I don't know, man. Like I said in the first tribal council, I feel like Frosty here comes off like a little asshole. He has like he has such a first he has like a weird mustache going on, which I don't think he pulls off. And then he pulls out the third person when he asks Todd, like, why do you deserve a vote from Frosty? Like, dude, you do not deserve the third person moniker. You hopped over a gate. Congratulations. That's it. That's good. I, I always get a kick out of how Todd always refers to him as you're a good kid or you're a nice kid. Like they're like three years apart. <laughs> like, you can't call someone a kid if they're maybe in high school at the same time as you. <laughs> yeah, but it's just Todd just runs. I mean, he runs the gamut here. He steals a couple votes. Even John Robert says, 
when he votes for him, congratulations, you just stole a million dollars. Like, because literally, I do think they didn't think Todd was going to win that game, and then he comes in and just snows everybody at the end because he's so such a great talker. It's and again, it's one of those performances I think people have to see to believe. It's just amazing. I do have to. I want to bring up Jamie as well, uh, just because we talked before about how viewing this from a more objective perspective she doesn't really come off as too too much of a villain and the hidden immunity idol fake hidden immunity idol play doesn't really come off as too much of a blunder that being said she doesn't make her image that much better in this final tribal council question which comes off in my opinion as very bitchy where she says we're gonna pull each other's dirty laundry out for the other people and basically when courtney refuses to do so she just snaps back and forth at her until she moves on to todd and she gets the answer she wants where she basically says hey talk shit about each other while i you know laugh gleefully yeah yeah it's one of it's not one of jamie's better moments she doesn't come off particularly well although we should point out that james not upset at all just says i'm not here to be a bitter betty and what does he say he just asks courtney tell me something you did that was fun in this game <laughs> and jeff's like is that all you're gonna ask and james like yeah i don't want to be negative they're gonna get more negative negativity from other people it's just a, kind of an odd little thing well, so with it, that it, yeah, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that, it, and I don't know if James was totally thinking about his image at this point or not. I'm, I'm not in the head of James. I can't uh, say that one way or another. But you know, it's always very weird to think about your final tribal council question because some people do use it to try to determine their final vote, why, whether whether their vote truly is wide open before final tribal council, or if they're like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to vote for this person, but I'm just going to confirm it with my final vote. You know, a, a lot of times I feel like, you know, when people think about the integrity of the game, that's what they're thinking. But, you know, you guys know how it is. Like a lot of times people already know who they're going to vote for. So the final tribal council question or comment or whatever they get up and do is a lot of times it's just for show, right? Yeah. And so then the question is, how do you use that? And some people will be like, well, I'm going to grandstand and, you know, do this big uh, elaborate Eliza or or, you know, Sue Hawk or, or, you know, Jonathan Penner or some sort of really showy final travel and try to try to grab that big stinger that everyone sort of talks about. But, you know, you can sort of go the other way like James. Like, I feel like James's question is not super memorable in the in the legend that is James, but it's very James like, you know, I, I don't I think James sort of knew who he was going to vote for. And so he just went up there and was like, hey, I have to be up here. Now I'm not. See you later. Not only that, but James actually looked pretty surprised when he was called on first. Maybe he had another question prepared, but since he went first, he thought he'd toss him a softball. That might have been true, too. Yeah. But in the end, it's one of those seasons that I think happens to end and play out exactly like it should have, and that's not something I can say for most seasons. I think when you get to the end and Todd pulls off this great comeback or this great jury performance, and you're like, all right, he probably should have won. Even though the story all along wasn't Todd is going to dominate this game, but it's one of those. I've always thought it ends exactly like it should, and it's there's there's many reasons why I'm high on China. This is one of them. I mean, the characters I think are fantastic. I love the theme. I love the cheesiness. It could have been a prettier season, I admit. It's a lot of it's just muddy. It's on that one little river, but it's the like I've said before. It's the only season after Palau that I think deserves to be mentioned with those first ten. So it's just I I have such high things about it to say, and I I just love Todd and. I, and I'm sure we'll uh, talk about him more in a second, but I really wish the best for him in life. I know he has had some rough times. Yeah, so I guess I guess we can probably dissect 
each of our you know finalists here because as you said todd wins what four to two to one i think yeah. uh amanda amanda ends up getting eric's rando vote because he thought she played the most well-rounded game courtney gets the votes of denise i think because denise tells her flat out in her jury statement she thinks she was the most honest and james i'm assuming it was just because of their personal connection so then todd gets pg he gets frosty he gets john robert and he gets jamie so yeah. even though i mean jeff says like john robert you were the deciding vote but you know john robert was not voting for courtney it would have been three to two to two at worst yeah but i do think john robert's was the hardest vote to get so i think it's just it's just impressive he got that one but yeah yes. i mean i mean we could talk about the final three i'll just say I've never been the biggest Amanda fan, obviously. I don't know why she was brought back in back-to-back seasons. I, even at the time, I just remember being shocked. I'm like, who the hell? Why, why is Amanda playing again? And then they brought her back four seasons later in Heroes vs. Villains, and it just infuriated me that, you know, people like uh, Vesepia had only played once, or Brian Heideck, or some of these people that were legit, like Dina or Helen, that were legitimate all-stars and, like, top-tier characters and this no-name Amanda from uh, China had played three times in six seasons. I just couldn't fathom that. But at the end of the day, it's really nothing against Amanda. I just was bothered by how they used her and kept recasting her. As a character, I think she's perfectly fine in China. I don't think she's the most dynamic. I think she was a very worthy second-place player. I think she had some good moments here. She's got some good ones in Micronesia. That doesn't mean I'm not going to take copious amounts of digs at her in Micronesia, because that's what I do, but... I will give respect where respect is due. I think she did a great job. She was a good player. And, uh, you know, there's far worse players than her than tanked it in the final, in the final tribal council. So it's really nothing to feel ashamed about if you're an Amanda fan. I think she is a, she is a solid player. Yeah, I mean, this is we haven't hit the height of Amanda Fever, as you mentioned. I think by far her most memorable and strongest game is going to be in Micronesia. She's going to benefit from the fact that we're going to get a full calendar year of Amanda. And for <laughs> a few seasons, she's going to hold the record for the most days played. She'll have made it to day 39 both times, which is definitely something significant. And I mean, I think we actually talked about this in part two, that like Amanda is just like, aside from her tribal council performance, she's very solid. She's not ever going to get voted off first because she's fairly, at least fairly athletic. She's fairly sociable. She's fairly likable. She's fairly strategic. She's like pretty, as Eric voted for her, she's pretty well-rounded overall. It just so happened that she put on the wrong guys for this final tribal council, and she had to be up against a guy who's a master bullshit artist, and that was very unfortunate. But that being said, I really enjoyed getting to talk about her specifically in this part of our podcast and really getting to talk about again her kind of self-contained story arc the rise and fall of amanda if you will and i'll be intrigued to see what she does in micronesia from an objective perspective because she's going to be much more prominent overall in micronesia than she was probably in the sum of china paul are you weeping over there yeah i'm waiting and paul's we openly weeping over there because we're complimenting her I think he Pause. passed out. He may have passed out. Oh my god! All right. Well, we'll get we'll get the Australian doctor on him. <laughs> yeah. How about Jay? What do you think about Paul, Amanda? Paul, Mike, can you poop? Um, Amanda. So, I think you guys have summed up Amanda pretty well, and I, and I think that sort of Mike is is going on. Amanda is very well rounded in the sense that not just her gameplay, in the sense that you know she's not going to get voted out first or last or anything like that, but her confessionals aren't bad. They're they're pretty decent. 
Yeah, Amanda, you know, Amanda is, she, she ticks a lot of boxes as far as, you know, things that Survivor likes to bring back in the sense that she, you know, was a decent character. Her confessionals are pretty good. She, she, you know, they, they like to bring back pretty girls for, you know, better or for worse. That's sort of a thing that Survivor does with criteria. And so, you know, Amanda sort of hits a lot of the, uh, the things that, that would, that would, they would bring back in a Survivor female. So that's kind of, I think, why we got a lot of her. Uh, but, you know, as, as a character goes, uh, I think what's very telling as far as, as this goes is that, you know, the first final three in Survivor Cook Islands was Yule versus Ozzy, and Becky was there, you know. And Survivor Fiji, it was like, you know, Earl versus, you know, and, and the other two really didn't seem like much of competition. Earl wins unanimously. And this one was sort of billed, if you're looking at the edit, as Amanda versus Todd. And Courtney comes in second place. Yeah, I don't know what that, who that says more about, Courtney or Amanda. <laughs> it's actually interesting to hear you guys give your thoughts on Amanda, and it's like nice to hear it in a positive way because I feel like my view of her has been so tainted for so long because I felt this like Montana connection to her for so long that I feel like it's really been hard for me to watch it objectively. So it's been nice to hear like the positive feedback about her and like see that, yes, she did play an important role in the season, even if it wasn't that apparent from early on. So... I'll agree with everything you guys say about her having a really solid performance in season 15. Yeah, I'd, I'd straight up say I think she was the best player of the season until she blew the final tribal council. Yeah. I think she was better than Todd most of the time because she was never a target. Well, and that's that, that always gets into, you know, I, I think that Todd is, is remembered as, you know, a dynamite winner. I think, you know, Todd is remembered as, as one of the tops, but you know, I think that this is an argument that people get into even more these days. It's not winner bashing Mario, but it's just more along the lines of who played the best game. And this sort of goes into the William Golding who owns the text argument, which is a lot of times of, you know, there are people out there that are like, the winner played the best game because by definition they won, they played the best game. Whereas other people are like, that's not necessarily true because you can bash a winner, you cannot bash a winner, but sometimes someone can back into a win or, you know, they can do, some people do a lot and win and some people don't do as much and win and some people do enough and win. And, you know, there's all these different, you know, every game is different, right? In a vacuum. So there's all, there's different win conditions. There are different ways to win. There's different uh, sorts of everything. And I, I think that with Amanda and Todd, they were sort of a duo for most of this game. And I sort of agree with you, Mario. Amanda seemed to fly under the radar a little bit better than Todd did. Todd had more votes going his way, but everyone sort of says Todd is a really great winner and ergo and Amanda really biffed final tribal council. So everyone's sort of like, well, of course Amanda wasn't going to win, but it's like, it's not so cut and dry. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So, uh, Courtney, let's talk about Courtney here. Courtney, one of my favorites. I loved her at the time. She's such a fish out of water. She knew it. She didn't care. I love that about her. I wrote, really glowing things about her on the funny 115 she wrote me about them she loved them she was so complimentary that people like her she's just the thing about courtney what i've just noticed about her is that she's one of the sweeter people i think i've corresponded with when it comes to survivors like she's really uh complimentary when people like her she's like oh people actually get my sense of humor that's so cool like i think she's used to being misunderstood or people thinking she's meaner than she actually is so mm-hmm. it'd be interesting just from a psychology perspective, it'd be interesting to kind of delve into her personality. Like, I wonder if she was picked on a lot as a kid or something, because she doesn't have a lot of self-esteem that people realize she's actually kind of fun and funny. But uh, 
one of my favorites. She uh, <clears throat> she even wrote me a testimonial for the Funny 115. She bought one of my sponsor tiles. By the way, if you want to support my website, you can buy one of the sponsor tiles. I have a link on there now. She bought one. And, and what was funny about Courtney when she bought one of the tiles, I'm like, well, just write something funny. And she's like, oh, I don't know. You're better than me. You write something. It's like she has no, didn't have any confidence that she would know how to be funny in writing on a tile. So I came up with a couple ideas for her. And what, what was funny is that she didn't want to use any mean ones. Anything that was remotely mean that made fun of Russell or Amanda or anything like that, she, she vetoed. She's like, no, I'm trying to move away from that. So it's just funny that the Courtney that people think she is is probably a lot different in real life than how she was on the show. And just from my limited experience with her, that she seems like an exceptionally nice person. And I'm really glad that, that I've got to correspond with her over the years. And I loved her in uh, this season. I loved her just as much in Heroes vs. Villains. She's one of those people like Sandra that every scene she's in is just going to be better just because she's fun TV. And it's just so fortuitous that Sandra and Courtney ended up aligned together in a season. I mean... Think of the odds of how that would happen. <laughs> it just did. It's just amazing. I'll have so much to gush about these two little, you know, snark masters being bitching about everything and <laughs> comparing notes on who they hate the most in uh, Heroes versus Villains. But yeah, again, I, I couldn't care less if Courtney was a good player. She knows she wasn't a great player. I think I've even seen on Twitter, she writes that she wasn't so much a player in Survivor China as she was a participant, which I always love that quote. She, she under no under no illusion that she was some master player and I don't think other people need to be either. She is what she is. You know, she's proud of herself and I'm, I'm really glad we got to uh, see her on the season. She's one of my favorites. Yeah. I mean, I'd go so far as to say, I think Courtney is one of the, as much as she might not uh, allude to it in Mario's, you know, correspondence with her. I still think she's one of the funniest people we've had on survivor in terms of just a great sense of humor. I think it's also like, even though fans might disagree with things that she said during her season, I think she speaks with a voice that's very akin to, I know us and other survivor podcasters. And I know a lot of other survivor fans that I talk to where she's very dry, very snarky, very sarcastic. And it's fun to see people like her, like Rob Cesternino, like certain elements of Suri making those type of remarks on the season, just because it feels like it's almost an avatar for the audience. And, you know, she definitely, was that to the point of where you know from the beginning she was kind of a physical outcast and combining her sense of humor with the fact that in terms of a storyline she was the underdog from day one was able to win an immunity and was able to win the game nearly win the game albeit you know she would have had to get a couple more votes and sway a few more people but she got second place money that's fantastic for a girl whose arm is probably the i don't know the width of a table leg uh, so I'm, I'm happy that she came back in Heroes vs. Villains. Not to spoil too much about my thoughts about that. I'm a little saddened that she didn't get as big of an edit. She was a little more under the radar. I feel like, uh, I would want to finish my thoughts off on Courtney by mentioning something from the reunion, which I think, Mara, you barely mentioned things from the reunion in the Funny 115, but this has to be mentioned where they're talking to Courtney about, you know, who your fans are or who really gravitates to you the most and she says well it's usually tourists and little kids and Courtney tries to reason with it by saying like I mean it's a family show and kids watching the show pick the teeny person to relate to and like I come off like a complete brat on the show and then this perfect exchange of just saying do you enjoy that do you like kids and then Courtney saying no I actually hate kids and just (laughs) that that the audience response and her just like doubling over us to say like oh my god what did I just say is great though I will point out (laughs) Jeff Probe's total dick moment here in the reunion. I don't know if you guys noticed this, where he's like, 
Courtney, you started the game at 93 pounds. What's going on? You, you, you know, anorexic eating disorder? What's going yeah. on? Like, <laughs> Jeff, this is not, you can't play Degrassi here. Don't just ask people if they have eating disorders. <laughs> well, yeah, then he goes, and I see you weigh a little more now. Like, it was just even another dick moment. Like, shut up. Oh, and, yeah. But again, I can't overemphasize enough the scene where Jeff brings up the uh, Denise sucks at life quote. And Courtney is kind of scratching her lip. And she raises her middle finger real subtly, and she literally gives probes the middle finger on live TV. And you can hear the audience gasp, and Jeff doesn't catch what happened. But it's, it's such a little Courtney moment. It's just one of those things. And, and again, I, she felt horrible about that Denise sucks at life quote. She apologized. They talk about it in the reunion show. And Denise's like, oh, yeah, we apologize. She talked about it. I love Courtney. So, yeah, Courtney, she's a really nice person in real life, and I don't think a lot of people would know that about her. All right, Paul, All right. you got any final thoughts on Courtney? I think Courtney's just fantastic. I think, you know, every season can use a Courtney on it. And um, the more Courtney-type characters we have that, that can deliver, like, those kind of confessionals, um, it's just great. It's, and she's just super refreshing as a character, too. It's, like, I mean, it's, like, fun to have, like, Survivor fans on the show who know the show and, like, are passionate about it. But it's also fun to have someone who's going to come into a show and think that, you know, that the challenges are going to be you know, race an egg on the spoon and a three-legged race and then, like, get out there and be completely shocked by what what she got herself into. So nothing but good to say about Courtney. Um, Courtney is fun. First of all, love Courtney so much. One of my favorite characters of all time. That being said, I'm going to do something very weird. And and, and actually, though, it's not that weird because when you it makes a whole lot of sense when you think about it. Courtney is going to return... Uh, for Survivor Heroes versus Villains. And who is Courtney's sort of running partner in Heroes versus Villains? The Latina oh. Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> it's Sandra. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, that's the thing. I, th- I feel like Courtney and Sandra are almost sort of the same. And, and there's different variations of each other. I was talking with uh, Colin Stone a lot about Sandra because, you know, Sandra is such a polarizing character and it's so weird to bring her into this season that she has absolutely nothing to do with. But, you know, Sandra is one of those things where, you know, some people are like, she's the best ever. And other people are like, she's absolutely not. And, you know, yeah, there's a lot of polarizing things that that, that go along with Sandra. But my I'm sort of in the middle. Like, I've got all these different things. Like, I don't think Sandra plays a very effective strategic game in a lot of ways. But that being said, I feel like Sandra's personality is like perfect for survivor in the sense that she is, she can be honest with everybody almost at all times. She can also lie pretty deceptively too, but she, she can play her personality is such where she can be honest and, and her honest a lot of times is literally, she can say negative things about you to your face yeah, or, or, or even just, you know, be exas, exa- exasperated with certain situations or, or things like that. And nobody holds it against you. Yeah. And then you get into Final Tribal Council and you're like, well, I didn't really lie to you much. I told you how I felt about you the whole time. And everyone's like, oh, Sandra, you scamp. Here's a yeah. million dollars. <laughs> and it's like Courtney has that aspect. And as you saw here, Courtney gets two votes. And one of them is because she was very honest. And Courtney has that thing where, she, you know, Courtney has that personality where she's just going to be brutally honest to you. And a lot of times it's probably not going to be super positive. And and. People, you know, some people can try that. I'm sure if I go in the game and I try to affect that sort of attitude, it's it's going to fail miserably. But they have that personality, Sandra and Courtney, where it works 
for them. And that's almost, it seems like that's almost a personality you want to have in the, maybe not in the early stages. Cause I mean, Courtney could have gotten voted out very early cause she was very weak in challenges just as Sandra and she could have been voted out along the way, but you get Courtney in final tribal council. She all of a sudden becomes very easy to vote for. Not because she did a lot in the game or was impressive in physical challenges, but because she can just stand up there and say, I'm me. I told you how it went the whole time. And this is what I was thinking. And you're like, you know what? I believe that that checks out. You know, you get my vote because, you know, there's there is some integrity in that. And so I feel like Courtney is just like a different version of Sandra. Yeah, it's like you said, it's almost impossible for the two of them to, to, to do to betray somebody. Right, I mean they can. They yeah, but it'll never be it'll never be perceived that way though. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So that's that's a good point. So Todd is really really interesting, both as a winner and as a character type. Because again, we talked before about how the final four stood around and said, "Who would have expected us to be the final four? And it's kind of true. Well, probably uh, he'd be uh, higher on the Fei Long totem pole than Courtney, but Todd of the four men on Fei Long was by far the physically weakest. And you know, Fei Long went to Tribal Council two, three times before the merge. There'd be a chance Todd would go, but Todd is a good social player from the get-go. I mean, he even talks about in his speech to PG that Mario kind of championed that he had a game plan from the get-go to just grab as many people as possible. He got. He got very lucky sometimes. I mean, he had Leslie come to him in the second episode and say, here's the hidden immunity idol clue. P.S. They exist. And Todd held on to that information for a while. He knew how to play his cards when they got dealt to him. That being said, like we've talked about the past three parts of this podcast, there's a lot more color to his edit than we initially thought. I think a lot of people say, oh, yeah, Todd was the mastermind. He gets the strategy bot edit game over. But there was so there was a lot of negativity coming from Todd. There was a lot of negativity coming to other players about Todd. There were a couple times when Todd was either close to be, being voted out or got a good amount of votes, and there was a legitimate chance that Todd was going to lose the game. I mean, I think from an edgic perspective, I believe Todd had like the first negative edit for a winner since Brian Heidick. And that considering that like no other winner in five years of Survivor had had that much of a negative edit definitely speaks towards the type of story that Todd had, which was very atypical. Now, that being said, like Mario said, it seems like he's unfortunately fallen on tough times. And, you know, my, my thoughts and prayers are to him and his loved ones and all that jazz. But just th- speaking about Todd in China, it's it's a lot of fun to watch him. It's a lot of fun to watch him kind of struggle and especially to see other competitors rise, it makes a season more exciting. And I don't think it works against Todd. It just works more for the season in general. Yeah, Todd is a character that I've always loved. I loved him that he won the season. I have, uh, think he's great in the episodes. He's one I've never really had any contact with outside the game. I've never spoken to him. I've never really tried to speak to him. He's not one I've ever really sought out. It's one of those things that I'm trying to see if I can phrase this correctly. In real life, I have a thing that I tend not to be friends with actors. Actors are someone I I try not to hang out with for the most part. And my rationale of that has always been people that are so good of being in and out of character, jumping into character at all times, I don't believe that they have a lot of like real there of like who they really are. And that's just a kind of a thing I've always had growing up, knowing a lot of people that acted. It seems to me there's not really a personality there. They're just good at seeing being many other different personalities anytime they want. And it's one of those things with Todd that I've never really 
sought out trying to contact him or anything because he's so good at Survivor and so good at bullshitting and just spinning this stuff that it, it almost it would frighten you a little bit. And to the point that I say that about Heidek too, that Heiden, Heidek is so naturally good at Survivor that I'm not sure I'd want to know him because you don't know what he's telling you or lying about just because he's so good at it. So it's one of those things I've never really had any instinct to get in touch with Todd or make friends with him or anything. But that being said... You know, I've I've heard these stories. He had an alcohol problem. He was in rehab and stuff. His mom has, you know, basically begged people on the internet to send him messages of support and help him out. So I, my heart really goes out to him. It sounds like he's gone through a rough time. And and again, as a fellow Survivor fan, I have nothing but good things to to hope for and say about other Survivor fans. I hope everything works out for him and you know it all goes well. I I, I he had so much enthusiasm for Survivor and for this game that it was fun to watch him on TV. That's And I just wish the best for him in real life. Yeah, so thinking about Todd and thinking about how he links to like the success of, surf, of Survivor China like on a larger scale, I know a lot of people said for a long time, I don't know exactly what the truth is, but I know for a long time people talked about how China really saved Survivor for going on longer, that it come, came off of 13, 12, 13, 14, I mean, even 11, like not like the, you know, the greatest seasons for Survivor and that something about China really re-sparked um, an interest in, in the show going further um, past season 16. And I think part of that, you have to, to credit the success of the season and the success of a winner. And um, I, I was listening back to the very first podcast that we did. I think Jay made a really good point just about how just solid the season was. Like, we don't talk about forever, like, how amazing Todd is. Like we talk about it now within this context about like what a strong winner he is, but he's just like a good winner. Um, you think about the season, it was like a really good cast. Nothing that like we stand out, we go like, oh my gosh, China was a game changer. It just was solid from beginning to end. And, and I include Todd in that as just a super solid winner. Survivor is, well, I mean, it's it's a television product and and, and we get that, but I was I was watching a, a play this past weekend, um, and, and it's a very famous play. It's called Noises Off. Um, people in the theater community know this play very, very well, and a lot of people who aren't big theater goers may know this play. It's a very classic British farce play, and it's very funny. And the thing about the play, th- this play, is that it's one of those plays where the material is so good that if you just execute what's on the page, if the actors memorize and do what they're supposed to do and you build the set according to what you're supposed to do and things like that, you're going to have a good show. You know, it's one of those things where as long as you just do it right, you're going to have a good show. And I feel like Survivor is a lot like that in the sense of like, if you just execute all of the, the, the bits, like the, the editing, the storytelling, um, you know, and, and have, have a winner that everyone seems to be satisfied with and all these sorts of things, then I think that everyone will remember a season fondly. And I think China is one of those things where, you know, it, it, didn't, just, it didn't just meet the bare minimum on all these sort of things. Uh, the, the, the production voices off that I watched, they elevated a lot of the things that were in there. So it, it wasn't just good, it was great. And the thing about China is, is that they hit a lot of the bare minimum standards that you need for a good survivor season. Plus they had, you know, James and Courtney and, you know, Jean Robert is this weird villain. They had the, this, this extreme wealth of good characters and they hit all their marks on everything else, which elevates the season into sort of this top tier. And I think the fact that Todd being a pretty satisfying and, and winner and one that we respect sort of hits that bar 
And I, and I like what you were saying earlier, Mike, about the fact that, you know, Todd is sort of negative in a lot of ways. And, and I think what that, if you're looking at, you know, sort of where Todd is good and where Todd isn't good, I think what people enjoyed was Todd seemed to know where the game was going and how to play the moves, how to play the twists and turns that the game went. Maybe what Todd wasn't so good at was effectively managing his own alliance, because even though they ultimately voted to save him a couple times, like Denise voted his way and Amanda voted his way, they very easily could have gone the other way. And I don't think it's necessarily due to anything Todd told them. They just sort of went, ah, well, you know, I'm just going to go with my with my alliance. But, you know, and a lot of times people try to attribute that to maybe something Todd said, but Todd could have it could have gone the other way, but it didn't. And so he got to go to the end and he won. So the, would this make Rice the sardines of the noises off comparison to Survivor? I'm so glad that you know that show. It's just such a good show. It's an amazing show. A ba- amazing movie, too. If you don't get the chance to see yep. a, the stage version, there's a movie with so many fantastic actors in it. Go find it. It's You need to watch it like multiple times to catch everything that's going on, but it's, it's incredible. It's, I, yeah, it, it's been on my mind. It's one of those shows where like someone mentions it, and you're like, oh, that's so good, and I just saw a version that was like really good. So I'm like sort of on that thing. But that's that's how I feel about Survivor China is that, you know, you talk about Survivor, you're like, awesome show. I love it. It's my favorite show. And then you're like Survivor China. Oh, that's a great season. And, you know, because it hits all of those marks and then goes above and beyond in a bunch. And with that, I believe we are done with Survivor China. All right. All right. Everybody a hand. Good job. That was a good one. We did it. Congratulations, folks. I do want to bring this is not super Survivor China related, but is Chinese history related. Um, I think one of the best things we were talking about rewards like Great Wall of China and, you know, the Shaolin Temple and stuff like that. If you're ever in the Massachusetts area, uh, specifically Salem, Massachusetts, which, you know, people know is, you know, the place where they've had witch trials and stuff like that. Beyond that, there is a museum there, the Peabody Essex Museum. And if you Go to that museum, and I think it's a fee to get into all of that sort of stuff. But they have inside the museum, they have an intact house that was uh, that was in uh, a province in China that uh, went in the early Qing dynasty. So it was like 1700s, and it was a working house up until like through the 1980s. It's called the Yin Yu Tong House, and it is one of those traditional sort of like Chinese familial houses that has like a walled out. Uh, outer courtyard and you kind of go in and it's double decker there's like a courtyard inside the main house part with rooms on either side it's 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 sort of like this living piece of chinese history they basically tore down the house and rebuilt it inside the museum so like it's this intact house of what you know a a prominent chinese family in in a rural district would have it's really interesting by the way so that's just my weird historical fact to go with china okay i'm done i'm sorry so would you call it our version of a rural house in china (laughs) no because it's an actual freaking house they they tore it down and rebuilt it there i don't know there's no firecrackers i'm not going okay well (laughs) fine i tried i tried i tried to culture you i'm sorry you know, we learned a lot about culture. I learned because of this season, I learned that China, they do not actually put pee pee in the Coke. Oh and I learned God. that I learned that the meadowlark <laughs> is the state bird of Montana. I'll be honest. I probably learned a lot more about Montana talking about Survivor <laughs> China than I did about China. <laughs> well, China is like the Montana of Asia, they say. Right. <laughs> Just like based on population and like. Yeah, Exactly. I'm I'm sure China has one person for every six square miles. Yes. (laughs) All right. So a lot of people said, you know, it's fun to listen to you guys talk about China, but it's not your best podcast because it's a season you guys all love. Like 
when all of us love a season, we just gush about it. It's not quite as interesting. And I, I will totally agree with that. And I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about China. And I'm glad we got to like kind of place it in historical perspective as it really was a big deal. It kind of rejuvenated the franchise. But the next season really rejuvenates the franchise. And to this day, I don't get it. So if you want to hear a, a podcast on a, on a season, we're going to have very disparate opinions now. Micronesia is perfect for you. Bring it's it on. Be, I'm ready. It's <laughs> going to be very divisive. It's going to be a little bit of a historian civil war here in the fact that at least as far as I know, Mario and Jay do not like Survivor Micronesia. Paul and I like Survivor Micronesia. I will admit that Survivor Micronesia, we talk in throughout the course of these podcasts about like, is there a moment when Survivor does not look like the show that it was however many years ago? I would say that Survivor Micronesia is almost a completely different show than what we've been seeing the past 15 seasons. That being said, I do enjoy it. However, you know, flashy, blindsidey it may be. And like Mario said, it's going to have a lot of big historical context. This is, even though Paul talked about how China was very important to really reviving the franchise, this is going to be the big mid series bump that the series is going to get that's going to get people talking about this show again so it's going to be really really fun to talk about it across all criteria points i i should clarify to say that i don't actually not like micronesia i just don't get why it's universally considered one of the top one or two survivor seasons it's i mean it's 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 reputation is off the charts how much people love this season. It was routinely called the best season or maybe the second best behind Heroes versus Villains. And I'd put it maybe you know in the top half of seasons. I love lots of things about it. There's certain things I don't get about it and I don't think work. I don't think Parvati has a very particularly good story or is a particularly effective winner. But again, I just don't get why it's so goddamn popular. That's my thing. I think I know why. I, 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 there's there's a lot of, of ways it goes. But I think that Mike sort of hit on the point that uh, I've actually started to watch the Micronesia episodes in preparation for the podcast that we're going to have months from now. But I think that what it is is that I, I feel like a lot of people, especially in modern Survivor terms, can't put Borneo into some weird perspective. And for the simple fact that Borneo sort of, it's, it's, it's the... It's the genesis. It starts this whole franchise, right? But Borneo is such a different season from even the seasons that that followed it. But, you know, especially in modern Survivor times, you go back and you watch Borneo. It is so different. And I think that the reason why one of the reasons why people put Micronesia so high is sort of what Mike is hitting at is that for the way the product is today, Micronesia is the Borneo of that product. Mm hmm. That's well said, actually. Uh, I'll give you props on that. That's good. It's sort of like, it's almost like, again, I know that at this point, Micronesia kind of served as almost like a halfway point, literally in the, in the chronology of the franchise up to this point. But that being said, it almost is like the beginning of Act 2, in a way, where you know that like the show that's going to come after Survivor Micronesia is, in my opinion, going to be very differently focused than all the seasons we've just talked about over these past years. Yes, and there's, there's, there's going to be some seasons afterwards that sort of are a callback to sort of the, the first act of, of, of Survivor, so pre-Micronesia. They, they still have the more of the modern bent, but they've got a lot of aspects that sort of call back. But I think that there were a couple of seasons before Micronesia that call forward in a lot of ways. So, you know, there's this sort of overlap going there, but I, I, I think that you're sort of right, Mike, in the sense that Micronesia starts the second act. 
Okay, here's a term that I hate using, but the way you guys phrased it, this absolutely fits. That you could argue that Micronesia is the reboot of Survivor. Mm. I hate the term reboot, and I hate the concept of it, but it totally makes sense when you phrase it like that. They rebooted it right here. Well, I mean, I mean Amanda's, Amanda's on it, so like, I say Amanda is Amanda the rebooted Kelly Wigglesworth. Pretty much, it's basically the female Ghostbusters movie. It's the we're starting a new franchise here. Oh boy, talk about dating this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that came out years ago, that Ghostbusters 2006, movie. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got it on Netflix the other day. All right, so I think that's pretty much it. Um, we actually clocked in under, maybe not under three hours, but near three hours today. We did pretty good. Paul's technical difficulties notwithstanding. Thanks, Paul. You're Are you welcome. in Montana? Are you in Montana, by the way? Just about. Close enough. Yeah. I mean, the technical difficulties <laughs> pretty much. It's basically Montana. Might as well be. <laughs> all right so i think that's gonna be wow we finally broke jay it took the entire oh, podcast finally laughed at something. Yeah, you guys oh, were breaking me that entire podcast <laughs> fucking mike's boston accent just about paul what the <laughs> <laughs> all right I, so I'm uh, in the united states somewhere i mean you know <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, next time you hear from us, it will likely be Micronesia. Um, there may or may not be a separate podcast in between there. Sometimes I like throwing in like a viewer mail podcast, like after, the, after every five podcasts. This would be after 15, so maybe we'll do some kind of uh, listener questions or an ask me anything where you can ask any of us anything and we'll answer it, or maybe we'll just do something off the cuff. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what our schedules look like. But uh, until then, yeah, the next time you will hear from us is where we talk about the exceptionally popular and perhaps overrated Micronesia. So as always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Paul Oselson, M-O-N-T-A-N-A, Montana, I love you. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. And as they say in Montana, me! You started to strategically place ideas in people's heads, which is what I wanted my job to be. And when you had approached me about blindsiding James, I was like, oh no, he's catching up. So who then becomes the biggest threat to me? You. What do I have to do? Turn it around on you, who is an extremely great strategic player in your daily life. I had to get rid of my biggest strategic threat, who is you. Guys, congratulations. Well done. James, I'm confused. What are you laughing at? Because he shut him up. I know. Honestly, I'm in awe. <laughs> <laughs> he shut his mouth. He shut his mouth. <laughs> 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 <laughs>